Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, Black Adam is here. We are going to have our reviews, including a little bit of spoilers. And special guest Michael Doherty joins us to talk about the theatrical release of his cult classic film, Trick or Treat. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by the SCAD Savannah Film Festival, the largest university-run film festival in the United States. This year, the festival celebrates 25 years of cinematic excellence. For the past 25 years, the festival has achieved unprecedented growth and success and has established itself as a distinguished stop on the road to the Oscars. Since its inception 25 years ago, the festival has screened more than 100 Oscar-nominated films and honored more than 75 legendary actors, directors, producers, writers, and filmmakers, bringing them to Savannah, Georgia to interact with SCAD students and the local community. This year's honorees are going to be incredibly special, honoring the likes of Ron Howard, Olson Baker, a.k.a. Machine Gun Kelly, Nicholas Holt, Jonathan Majors, Janelle Monet, Jeremy Pope, Sandy Powell, Eddie Redmayne, and many more. In particular, if you want to find me, I'm going to be at Leopold's Ice Cream uh, every evening post-screening, rewarding myself with some delicious ice cream to close out the night. I'm so excited that the SCAD Savannah Film Festival has decided to partner with Real Blend and make sure that you continue to follow the show because we have plans to record some really cool things while we're in Georgia this year. Thank you so much to SCAD and the SCAD Savannah Film Festival for everything that you guys do for cinema. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 233 of Real Blend, a podcast that would phone home again, but only for the residuals. My name is Sean (laughs) O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend. And on this week's show, Black Adam is finally here. And we're going to discuss that at length. Uh, We'll have our reviews coming later in the show. So make sure you stick around for that. Uh, And we have a very special guest uh, this week. Director Michael Doherty is joining us. Uh, who's been involved with a number of really exciting projects. Uh, But for this one in particular, he directed a horror anthology called Trick or Treat, uh, which found its its audience over the years and became a bit of a cult classic. And it's going to be coming back to theaters. And so Michael decided he was going to join the show. And we're happy to have him. And you guys from a very special location. Oh, yeah. This interview's got a lot in it. This has got a lot in it. (laughs) It does. He was great. Um, But also, yeah, well, I didn't. Would he have brought it up because he brought it up because of something I mentioned off the top. But was he just going to be in that room and not mention where he was? Do you think he would just so. wouldn't have said anything? Yeah, I think so. Because um, you mentioned because the, you mentioned the rug, which is the only I'll let the people discover it. But you mentioned yeah. the rug and then that sort of snowballed into like, well, guess where the rest of this yeah. is. And I wouldn't have picked that location. I would not have never, recognized never. that location. Thought, well, because also you don't see that that room from that angle in the film not at all. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Think. So this is a reason why you guys should be watching us over on the YouTube channel yes. as well, too, because there's a video element of this show that we Absolutely. do every single week. Uh, the guys are all first. very good looking. Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jake. Hey, buddy. How are you? Good You're so you. good. Look how handsome you are. It's, a, it's just you look, a handsome you look like show. a man who has a book coming out. Oh, I do. Hey, look, it's right here. I have a big pile of them. Woo! Big pile of books. Still, my, my, mine just got delayed, so we'll see. We'll see it's, what I found. It's on its way. That's Gabe Kovach. <laughs> that's, that's where it's at. It's at Sean's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sean's shipping them all by hand. I have here, Gabe. <laughs> I'm holding them all. Just, I've intercepted them all. Uh, Gabe is filling in for Kevin. Kevin is getting some well-deserved time off. Uh, he'll be, I, I believe, contributing to this week's Blend game, which is found footage blend. Um, 
hashtag if it happens. Um, but in the meantime, we have a lot of things to get to, including housekeeping. Uh, as I mentioned, you should be watching us on YouTube. There's always some really fun visual elements to this show, and you guys can see them there every single time that we post something. Go to YouTube.com backslash Real Blend Podcast. Hit subscribe. Turn on your notifications. You'll get alerts uh, every Friday morning when the show drops around 7.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time. Um, in addition, we do Real Blend Premium, and that drops on Mondays. Uh, that's a bonus show. That you get as being a premium subscriber and in addition you also get a newsletter that i write every single week this is a newsletter week so you guys will have one coming your way i don't know what it's going to be about i think i'm going to write about cory or the new face of horror oh, okay. uh cory cory yeah not cory who works at cinema i was like i was like that's a really <laughs> inside <laughs> baseball you're really running out of things to write newsletters about talk about the new face of horror uh cory cory ends the new movie from uh david gordon green and featuring uh, michael myers so <laughs> right with an appearance uh, by so check the description um anywhere you are listening to us for information on where you can sign up okay let's get to michael Do- michael doherty because as we mentioned this is a very fun interview for a film that we all really really enjoy um and it's been great to see the trick-or-treat perfect example of a film that that didn't hit its audience because it essentially struggled to get to theaters um, played film festival circuit and uh, was receiving, according to what Michael's going to talk about in this interview, you know, really bad test scores and and bad buzz at the studio level and the studio having no faith in it uh, and then rolling it out to actual audiences and having them respond incredibly favorably to it. Um, and so now this many years later, uh, AMC is bringing it back to theaters so that fans who maybe never got a chance to see it on the big screen probably only saw it in like, um, you know, VHS format or on a cable channel can now go out to the movies. And so um, this interview that we're posting here is made possible by uh, by AMC's Thrills and Chills program. And the cult classic Trick or Treat is, is like I said, finally hitting theaters uh, after 15 years after its initial release. And as part of this program that they're trying to do for it, they're, they're going to be playing it at over uh, 174 AMC locations beginning on October 21st and running all the way through the 27th as part of their AMC Thrills and Chills program. Uh, You can find out information on tickets in the description down below. Um, But without further ado, we wanted to get right to Michael Doherty, uh, who is talking about Trick or Treat and its legacy and uh, a couple other really fun things that are part of his uh, filmography. So here's Michael Doherty. Well, seriously, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the Real Blend podcast. Um, our spiel that we always start out with is that we are a, a filmmaker craft driven podcast, and we love to kind of get into the nitty gritty inside baseball behind the scenes of filmmaking. Um, before I, I begin with my first question, I have got to ask you just based on a quick little snippet of your image. Is that a shining rug behind you? It is a shining rug behind me. Yeah, it's <laughs> fantastic. I, I can really I can spot eyes. that carpet from Overlook anywhere. Wow, um, that wow. is that is incredible. Wow. All right, well, hold on. Let me let me throw this challenge at you guys. You'll you'll oh, enjoy shit. this. The, the nature of our conversation. Can you guess um, what room I'm in? Like, are you are you in room two thirty seven? Oh, you're close. You're you're kind of close. Warmer than uh, than nothing. Are you know. at the Stanley Hotel? I, I, I feel like you're going to tell me and then it's just going to and then it's just going to make me go like 
it's gonna make me go nuts that I didn't figure it out myself. You're trying to look no, at the pattern. Yeah, honestly, honestly, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to guess it just based on the angle and what you guys are seeing. Um, oh, I'm okay. currently sitting. I'm currently sitting in Judith Meyer's room. So this is the room <laughs> where, where Michael kills Judith. Get out what? of here! What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why? And this and this and this and this particular desk is where her vanity was when she got no. Stabbed. Yeah. Wait, I don't understand. What? How? Why? Why are you there? You've recreated uh, it? No, I haven't recreated. This is the actual house where they shot it. This is the is house it? where they shot it. Yeah. Do you, do you live amazing. there? No, I don't live here. I'm just good friends with Michael. He's let me borrow the place for a few days. <laughs> if he's known for anything, it's being kind and giving. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so this is this is this is the room where it happened. This is the room where uh, Michael Myers was born. That's incredible. That, that, that room back there, that room back there, that's his bedroom. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. Now, now the whole time I'm just gonna wait for like a little kid to walk up behind you, um, <laughs> Michael. I, I'm gonna start out with I, I'm gonna start out talking about Sam because when when you're a filmmaker, you never know what's gonna pop. You never know what aspects of a film are are gonna sort of take for, you know front and center once it's out there. What people are gonna connect with when you were crafting this story, when you were writing, when you were directing, did you have a feeling that Sam was gonna sort of be? Uh, I guess sort of the unofficial mascot of this film. I mean, we're at a point where like there are literally dog costumes for Sam. Like that's how big the character has gotten. Did you know that? Or were you surprised once it came out? Uh, I guess it was more of a wish, um, you know, cause it, the character started as an animated short uh, mm -hmm. way back in like 96, actually. Um, and even while I was doing that animated short, I kind of hoped something else could happen to the character like I, I was kind of hoping that I could do a live action short with the character um and then eventually you know became a feature film you know I, I think anytime a horror filmmaker or any filmmaker uh hatches a new project I mean especially in horror and sci-fi you kind of hope that they'll become the next big icon mm -hmm. um but I, I guess I, I didn't have the ego to assume that it was going to be that it was a sure thing um, but in the back of my head, I always, I always kind of hoped and wondered to the point where when I was writing early drafts of the script, the, the original, original producer of the movie was Stan Winston, um, the creature effects. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. Genius. And so he I... would let me, he would let me, he would let me come to his creature shop and work on the script in the trophy room, which was like a big conference room where he had all the creatures from aliens and Terminator and Jurassic Park. Oh, just sort oh of my God. Room up. And so I'm sitting there, you know, this nerdy kid just working on a script and sort of hoping and praying that Sam would be welcomed um, with that menagerie. Wow. No I was pressure, literally God. just sharing a bunch of videos from Stan Winston's account on my Instagram today from the Terminator oh, wow. two tests and how they tested the, the, the split head and like the stepping mm -hmm. on the skull. Like, I mean, Stan Winston, if people out there, if, if you haven't checked out the Instagram, check out his Stan Winston school Instagram. There's a really cool yeah. thing on there about all the uh, effects and work they did over the years. Yeah. Stan was the first one to really uh, take the film and me under his wing. And he's the one that said, Sam should be the next big horror icon. And I just sort of that's brush it off. Yeah. 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 That's just, just Dan talking, but here we are. <laughs> um, so we're here, uh, obviously celebrating the fact that Trick or Treat's coming back to theaters, and that uh, a generation that might only know it from VHS and and DVD and cable channels is going to get a chance to experience it on the big screen. But to that end, um, I want to take you all the way back to December 9th of tw of two thousand seven, 
where you bring the movie to Austin, Texas uh, yeah. for Buttonamathon. Uh, and just what do you remember about how it played in front of that audience? How excited did it make you about what you had? Uh, and then, you know, just what do you remember about that night, basically? I remember how terrified I was yeah. uh, because that was the very, very first uh, public screening of the movie. Um, like outside of test screenings and rough cuts. Uh, and I didn't know, I honestly didn't know who was good anymore. Um, at that point, I was probably at the lowest I could possibly be because all the metrics, you know, that a studio likes to throw at you, the test screenings and their own opinions and everything else told us that this was a disaster. Um, you know, it didn't really have a lot of love or support at the studio at the time um legendary was always supportive um the regime at warner brothers at the time not so much um and so a lot of people had sort of turned their back on the movie mm. and i uh, i was also told that the movie would be last in line um of a 24-hour movie marathon so oh, I'm thinking, Jesus. okay, I'm going up against the Austin film crowd, which are very passionate and very vocal, as we all know. Uh, and I'm the last movie in this 24-hour movie marathon. And I I was sick. Like, I think I was still getting over the flu at the time. Uh, and so I was just convinced that it was going to be a disaster. And lo and behold, it was the opposite. Like, it could not have been a better crowd. It could not have been a better reaction. To this day, I still remember you know, people coming up to me and gathering around outside under the harsh light of day after 24 hours being locked in the movie theater and telling me how much they loved it. And so for the first time in over a year, I felt happy. <laughs> you know, I felt like, <laughs> oh, okay, this isn't a complete disaster. And then the reviews from that screening started to roll in. You know, this is sort of the beginning early days of, um, you know, the online movie bloggers and journalism and that marked just a very distinct turnaround in how I felt about the movie and how the public felt about it, obviously. And thankfully, studios started to come around, too. Awesome. You know, Michael, I, I want to take it from that point because I find it interesting. Our audience loves the inner workings of movies, filmmaking, but even just releases and kind of how everything is done. Um, this is the first time this film is playing in theaters to the public outside of like festival screenings. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wanted to, if you could talk about the journey from the moment you did that screening and kind of why the theatrical did not happen to 15 years later, as we sit here right now and it's back, it's in theaters finally for people to see in a public uh, viewing but just the journey from from that point forward and kind of like how how it happened and how how this did not get a theatrical release 15 years ago. Oh, God, the journey. Uh, it's like a therapy session now. Um, <laughs> well, the, 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 the Buttonamathon screening in 2007, like I said, that was a turning point. Um, and it was a good one. But even after we got like a fat stack of great reviews from that movie or from that screening, uh, it still couldn't convince uh, certain folks at uh, at Warner Brothers to give it a second chance. Mm. Um, for whatever reason, you know, uh, it was just a weird little feathered feathered fish of a movie. Um, and so I think they sort of looked at that screening as a fluke, you know, because they had test screenings, two or three of them at that time, 
that told them the opposite, you know, according mm-hmm. to, you know, the wizards gazing into their movie crystal balls, this movie still had, didn't have a chance in the marketplace. And so from there, what happened was uh, other festivals started to call up and ask if they could screen it. So word of mouth started to spread in the festival circuit, genre festival circuit specifically. Um, and thankfully, Legendary and Warner Brothers were willing to at least do that much. Like they were willing to let, uh, to rent out a print to these film festivals and, you know, see if some sort of grassroots support uh, and word of mouth could build. Mm. And so, but for that to happen, I had to personally carry the film print to all these film festivals. And we're talking like wow. old, this is before like digital DCP, right? So we're talking like big, heavy, painful film canisters. And um, I wasn't allowed to check them into luggage. I had to book a seat next to me on the plane. <laughs> like that's how paranoid they were at the time. Like they didn't want a chance of like this unreleased movie getting stolen at baggage claim or something. So oh the, the film canister got its own seat on the plane. Uh, <laughs> and I had to carry it, you know, through the airport and like it hurt. Like I felt like Jesus carrying the cross or something because like the metal, <laughs> the metal handles would dig into my palms to the point where there's literally blood seeping like onto the film canisters as I'm lugging it around. Um, and so I had to do that to like, I think four or five different cities, four or five different festivals over the course wow. of like 2008 uh, and every screening, every film festival from uh, Sitges to a special Fangoria screening that we had in New York, um, Lincoln Center screened it, uh, the Film Society there screened it. Uh, every screening resulted in another batch of just awesome reviews. But mm-hmm. no matter what, it just couldn't get anybody um, at Warner Brothers at the wow. time, under that current, uh, under that regime at least, to care. Um, Legendary was very supportive. They were still pushing hard all the way up to the bitter end uh, for a proper theatrical release. Um, but I remember there was even a point where we thought about uh, trying to find another distributor. Mm-hmm. And so we had screenings, you know, for other distributors to see if they wanted to come in and just pick it up, like buy Warner Brothers and Legendary out. And mm-hmm. still nobody wanted it. Like mm-hmm. even that, it, would, it was just like, Nobody who was like in the business had any faith in it. Right. Um, But every time you screen into like actual audiences, you know, and film buffs, people went crazy for it. So was there a a horror franchise at the time that was really popular that the studios preferred to like emulate? Oh, Saw was Saw was big. Okay, Yeah, it was this was this was uh, I think around Saw 4 and maybe Hostel 2 or 3, you know, Torture 4. It was all about that was not a good time for horror. Yeah, it was a really weird time. Like everybody forgot that horror could be fun and yeah. weird. Um, and so I think it had that going against it. Um uh what else? Oh, Japanese horror remakes were okay. the thing. Gotcha. You know, so it was it was grudge and the ring and all that business. So mm-hmm. outside of that, you know, this is before True Blood and before American Horror Story. So it was before tongue in cheek horror, I think, started mm-hmm. to come back with fashion. Um, and before vampires and werewolves got big again. So we were just kind of ahead of the pack, I think. Mm. Um, so it was a really, really hard, uh, emotionally and physically uh, damaging time, honestly. Mm. Michael, I actually want to pick up from there because I feel like 
and there, there's no greater compliment for a film than becoming a cult classic, because what it means is someone loved a movie enough to go tell someone else and make it their life's mission to make sure they've seen this film. I literally this week had someone in my newsroom say, hey, I'm looking for a good a good movie for spooky season for Halloween. What's a great movie? And I go, oh, my God, have you seen Trick or Treat? And they're like, no, what is it? And so I, I and, and the, the joy that I found passing that film on to someone else mm-hmm. was fantastic. What was the first moment when you started to realize that like, wait, this is like, it, this is this is becoming a thing. This isn't just like a, a low level movie that's going to be in a couple of festivals from here on out. Like people are going out of their way to share this film. I mean, honestly, going back to that Austin screening, that was a big one. Like that's where you really saw the spark of what the word of mouth could become and really had the feeling that uh, it was only going to grow louder from there because it was just so overwhelmingly positive. Um, and then each subsequent festival screening, same thing. You know, there was never a, a there was never a bad festival screening ever. It was always the same uh, tidal wave of of positive reactions. And so, in my gut, uh, and I think at Legendary, we knew that if we got a theatrical release, that would only continue to snowball. That it would mm-hmm. build from there. Um, that said, we didn't get that. Uh, but I remember hunkering down with the Legendary crew who again, like they always were supportive of it. And we sort of just made it a mission. We said like, let's make this a cult classic. Let's, what can we do grassroots wise to really keep this going? Uh, and so even though we were sort of uh, damned to, you know, DVD or direct to video, uh, we made the best of it. It's that mm-hmm. cliche, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. So we did. Um, and then when it finally did debut on home video, uh, oh, and there was another screening uh, before, just before the home video release at Comic-Con where I think we did a Hall H screening and it was packed. Oh, wow. Like completely, completely sold out. And that was like a rock concert. To watch mm. a movie with thousands of people is very different yeah. than watching a movie with just you know a few hundred in a multiplex theater. And, uh, and so from there, just felt the support grow even more. And so when it finally came out on home video and you know, physical copies were selling out at Best Buy um, mm. the first weekend, you know, that yeah. first week, um, I think we all knew then that we had something. So the five shorts that were um, essentially part of the original film, were they the only five that you had? Because I know you've had, you've had a chance to go back and and almost revisit the the franchise through short films. Uh, are those newer stories or were they ones that didn't fit at the time when you were putting them together? What do you mean the short films? Uh, Father's Day was a short that, oh. that you did. No, those were. Uh, do you guys remember FearNet, the horror network? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they did this thing where they uh, aired the movie for 24 hours every Halloween, uh, kind of like a Christmas story. Like was a Christmas done story. Over, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so to promote that event, they asked me to come up with these sort of short one-minute promos that they would run throughout the year. And so oh, what okay. we did was I said, what if Sam invaded Father's Day? What if Sam invaded Easter Etc. Etc. And so these became these sort of like fun little one-minute animated vignettes uh, that would show what kind of uh, chaos he would create if he got to if he was unleashed on other unsuspecting holidays. Um, <laughs> those weren't those weren't um, ideas for shorts that would have been you know in the actual movie. Um, hmm. The movie the the stories in the film were 
three of them, I think, were actually um, short stories I wrote as like film school writing assignments. Okay. Funny <laughs> enough. So the whole movie is was, I mean, not the whole movie, but a fair portion of the movie was birthed at NYU. You know, the really? character was an anime short, and then the werewolf story, Dylan Baker's story, uh, and most of Brian Cox's story were all just short writing assignments um, that I did while I was a film student. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, yeah. and now we're here talking about this movie 15 years later, which is insane. Yeah. You know, Stay in school, kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to I ask you about Quinn Lord, uh, obviously who plays Sam, but I find that interesting because he was young when he played the character, obviously the character. And I, and I just wonder, like, your relationship with that aspect. I mean, this is a R-rated film. It's there's violence. Mm-hmm. It's a you know, it's a pretty pretty brutal film in t- in that terms. But I mean, having a young kid play that character, what was your relationship like with him, his his family, in terms of like what he was doing, what he knew he was doing in the role in the movie? Like, was there like a did you kind of like keep things from him about some of the more brutal material? Like, how did that work? Um. Well, I was adamant that Sam be played by a kid. Because uh, the whole point of Sam is that he can masquerade as a kid, you know, that he he camouflages himself to look like a kid trick or treating and just roams around door to door, making sure that people are following Halloween's traditions. So, you know, kids (laughs) move differently than little people. Uh, And so as much as I was, I think my line producer would prefer to cast a little person. I said, no, it's just that the kids have this very sort of floppy puppy dog, awkward way of moving. And it's important that it, it have that, you know, very unique flair. So we auditioned a bunch of kids in Vancouver and Quinn came in one day and it was almost like he had his own sort of like method acting already in place when he auditioned. Uh, and he said, uh he goes do you want to do you want to see what i think sam would do if you found a a a cat i'm like yeah go for it kid and he just sort of slipped (laughs) into this very sort of like feral goblin-esque persona without any sort of costume or mask or anything and like his voice changed his body language changed and he just pretended as if he just found this cat just like snatched it and scurried off to a corner of the room and i was like all right that's him that's him that's that's sam and he was very wow. mature for his age and his parents were totally in uh, and, you know, just cool parents. And we didn't really have to hide anything from him. You know, it's like he knew the difference between what was real and make believe. Uh, and he sort of came up with his own sort of like thoughts and bi- almost like biography for Sam. Uh, and it was just fun. He just brought like that sort of perfect level of like innocence and mischief to the role and to the set when we were shooting. Daniel Day-Lewis, eat your heart out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and we still stay in touch, you know? We were like, we, he came out for a Horror Nights uh, event a few years ago. Oh, that's and cool. Obviously, yeah. You oh, know, I went to that now, Horror Nights. That was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it was a really good time. Uh, you know, but now he's like 20 or something, and it's just ridiculous, <laughs> you know? It's that's like watching awesome. your kid grow up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael, if you Google trick or treat sequel you're going to find articles going back about 15 years like people have been talking about it. there have been updates here and updates there yeah. so as of this date october 17th 2022 where are we on a sequel oh man i feel like the the new halloween tradition is asking me about the sequel you know? we're gonna like, ask you next year too 
asking out candy and asking Mike Dory about where's trick or treat too. Um, we're working on it. That's all I can say right now, unfortunately. Uh, uh, Legendary is super excited. Obviously, they've been paying attention to what the movie's become over the years, uh, and uh, we're we're working on it. <laughs> we're trying. You know, it's it's tough because uh, it's not an easy movie to make. You know, anthologies are already uh, challenging because you're juggling so many characters and storylines. Um, but you know, I think we really captured lightning in a bottle. Uh, and so it's all about balancing that, you know, uh, the scares and the laughs and the horror and sort of the, the dark fairy tale element. Um, you know, and I, I would never want to make a sequel if I felt like conditions weren't just right. You know, it's got to at least match the intensity and scale of the original. Um, cause the last thing I would want to do is, you know, suffer the same fate of a lot of horror properties where the sequels <laughs> disappointing. Um, yeah. so I'm very protective of Sam. I'm very protective of the title. Um, so I, I really want to make sure conditions are right before we, uh, bring it back. Fair enough. Would you do a series? Would you ever consider a series? Uh, I think a TV series is too much to be honest. I mean, yeah. I love Halloween, uh, probably more than anyone. And I don't know if I'd want to watch a Halloween thing in the middle of July, you know, mm -hmm. as much as my own personal motto is every day is Halloween. Mm -hmm. There's something special about October. Um, I would be down to do like a Halloween special, which I think would be mm -hmm. separate from uh, a theatrical sequel. But, you know, the idea of like a one hour or even half hour special that might be a mix of live action and animation and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff like that definitely interests me. Oh, nice. cool. Michael, did I read a, a story online that there was an idea for the sequel where like or that there would be like the, you would show the birth of Sam in a pumpkin patch? Am I <laughs> making that up? No, I think that was more of an offhand comment about how oh, okay. I would never actually show uh, what Sam's origin is. You know, I think that whenever you start to over explain a horror icon, uh, it just becomes yeah. cumbersome and it takes away the mystery and the power of the character. So mm -hmm. uh, I think the less, you know, the better, you know, like to this day, we don't know why young Michael Myers snapped and it's right. better that way. You know, like the last <laughs> thing we're going to find out is that, uh, you know, he suffered some weird scientific experiment or something like that. Unless it was Colonel yeah. Cochran, that'd be interesting. You saying um, that in that room is is freaking me out right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh so no you know in my mind it's like okay sam probably does rise from a pumpkin patch you know every i love that every, every cool. halloween at sunset or so a little pumpkin starts to shake and rattle around until it's like but the you know the original origin of the character like that's not that's something i would never reveal too late. We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take that soundbite out and just go same origin reveal yeah. do, do you think carpenter <laughs> has an origin do you think think carpenter even knows michael myers's reason for snapping do you think it's just i don't want to be like, the person to ask him yeah i don't know yeah, really. I, I don't want to ask him either i yeah. mean knowing, do you, knowing knowing him he probably i think he's he's too smart to have his own yeah. origin story yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. makes sense um, Michael, I'd be, I'd be remiss not to uh, pivot away from horror uh, and get into a little bit of comic book discussion because that's another passion of yours. And you have outstanding credits uh, in the comic book realm, uh, specifically two X-Men titles. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I just want to know if you have, and this is maybe a long shot, um, if you have a theory because or, or how you would do this. There's a lot of conversations about mutants coming over to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how are they going to fit in? Oh, yeah. If you had the opportunity to maybe take a swing at that, uh, how would you potentially bring them over? I think um, it's tricky because I do love the whole multiverse angle that every comic book company is now uh, (laughs) embracing. But uh, mutants obviously hold a very special place in my heart. And if they, obviously they're going to enter the MCU. And I feel like it would be too easy slash lazy if just a glowing portal opens up and the X-Men just walk in. Sure. Right? Yeah. But I feel like, and I'm also a big fan of science. Um, I feel like the most interesting organic way for the mutants to enter the MCU would be if mutants naturally start to evolve as a result of all the trauma and destruction that humans had to suffer through um, from all the battles and invasions and everything oh. else that we were subjected to. It's like mother nature would then start to evolve mutants as a survival mechanism so it's because of all the avengers going up against thanos and the snap you know and and everything else we've had to put up with you know the innocent bystanders of of humanity in all the mcu uh destruction we naturally start to evolve into mutants uh as a survival mechanism that's the whole point fantastic this is the greatest idea ever this is also coming from the guy who wrote the best x-men scene ever with nightcrawler in the white house which is one of my favorite (laughs) oh actually i I didn't i will not take credit for that that i will not take that scene didn't you write the screenplay for x2 yeah but it was there was like three of us you know what i mean so like there are certain (laughs) scenes that i will gladly take credit for but the white house invasion i think was david Hayter, and he deserves all the credit for that it's a great scene Uh, (laughs) anyway but no i just i just I just I, I love the original X-Men cast. That's not to say that, you know, Hugh and Patrick and those guys can't come in to maybe help these new mutants evolve sure. and protect them, make sure that they, you know, that this that the MCU mutants obviously get a fair chance. But I think in order to create a new generation of mutants for today's audiences, and also just, you know, in terms of giving it real stakes, like I'm more interested in seeing how nature once again does the smart thing and it gives human beings a leg up because we've just been you know blasted as a bunch of extras in these movies for for what is it 15 years now wow that's fascinating wow that idea is oh my god that's incredible by the way that's just my take that's just that's that's the best one i've heard so far michael Uh, quick follow-up though because kevin feige was around in those earliest days could you have any idea that he was going to become what he what he has become (laughs) Um, only when he once showed me his infinity gauntlet and he already had two of the stones. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, uh, I was like, wait a second. Uh, you had me there for a second. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I don't think anybody could have suspected, you know, yeah. uh, but you always knew that the guy had his shit together, you know, and that he, and that he knew what he was doing. You were dealing with a legit fanboy that you could banter with, um, someone who was truly passionate and wasn't just in this for you know power and and money, but true love for uh, for Marvel. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Thank you, uh, Michael. I'm gonna. I think we're gonna cut you loose pretty soon. Um, but I, I do want to circle back around to trick or treat because I would imagine over the last 15 years you've had 
so many people come up to you and reach out and 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 publicly love this movie. But of everyone that you've heard has loved it, all the reactions you've gotten, who's like the one person where you're like, holy shit, that person loves my movie? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. Um, I can't we save our name. good ones for the very end. We save our good <laughs> ones for the very end. <laughs> um, oh, gosh, that's a really, really good one. I will say, you know, not that this is somebody notable or famous, but, you know, I get some really touching uh, messages on social media. Um, and I've gotten a couple where the person said that the movie helped them find a strange sense of comfort uh, in who they are because they were, and it sounds like a weird stretch, but they were abused as a kid um, physically. And I think because so much of the movie does involve um, human monsters getting their comeuppance, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, we're dealing with, you know, one story in particular where it's a school bus full of mentally ill children uh, who are killed, but they get to rise from the dead and, 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 and kill their tormentor, their murderer. For whatever reason, there's, there are people out there who watch it and they find uh, a kindred spirit, I think, in Sam and in those kids. Um, I've had people tell me that the werewolf story, that Anna Paquin story helped mm. them figure out their own identity um but point being that there are just people who seem to find uh a deeper emotional connection to the movie than you would expect in a standard horror comedy okay. uh and not that that was like my intention necessarily consciously um but there's just there's just a segment of the audience that seems to find personal meaning when they watch it uh, and that means a lot to me because I, I to me that's what halloween really is about you know halloween isn't just uh getting candy and drunk, getting drunk and, and trick-or-treating and dressing with costumes, there is a deeper emotional and even spiritual meaning behind all of it. And so to know that people are finding that in the movie and that it's somehow helping them, uh, that means the world to me. Well, Michael, we want to say thank you so much for joining the Real Blend podcast. Sure. I also want to point out that people, when they watch the film, look at the fake candy names. Um, which I thought was, you know, that, that that was a cool thing too. So, uh, but thank you for joining. We, for had to do, we had to do that legally. Like we weren't allowed to use Hershey and watch them call it or Snickers or anything. Cause the lawyer's like, no, we're those candy, you know, M&M &M and Mars will never allow you to show poison candy with their labels on it. So we had to come up with our own candy <laughs> and we did, but now, now you can buy actual Holly Ho candy bars um, at FYE. Like they're manufacturing the actual candy bar. No razors, of course. <laughs> um, but it's just ironic that our prop candy has now become real candy. That's, That's really awesome. Funny. Well, thank you so much yeah. for joining us and please go out and see thank this you. in theaters. This is a historic that this movie is actually finally getting a theatrical release. It's out there now. You can find it. Uh, just look at your local listings. Um, I believe it's playing. I'm assuming through Halloween, Michael. Um, but I mean, right, I know it's playing uh, for the for, for right now and definitely in the coming weeks. So make sure you check it out. And uh, thank you so much for joining the Real Blend podcast. We appreciate you. Thank you. We want to thank Michael Doherty for hopping on and we encourage everybody to definitely go out and see trick or treat. Um, I was really late to the trick or treat bandwagon because even though like I know that it was really, really, really popular, uh, 
I, I always just felt for some reason that like, that's eh, probably not as good as everybody says it is, you know? Um, and then it turned out to be so great. <laughs> it's just so great uh, and really entertaining. And I'm glad you got to talk about Brian Cox um, and, you know, just the other cast members that he's been able to bring to that, that picture. So um, if you haven't gone to see it on the big screen, it is definitely, definitely one that you want to go to. And hopefully when you go, you'll have a, a big crowd. Um, so again, also, just to remind you guys, Ooh, but sorry, also uh, a part of that interview, I want him to uh, work with Marvel to bring the, Yes. Oh my God. What a beautiful. I think we all loved that pitch. Oh my God. That's because it's one of those things that, that once he said it, I was almost protective of it. I was like, Oh my God, don't let that get out. Cause like, what if someone steals that from me? Like, that's how good. Well, we want them to. We want Marvel to steal it and use it. (laughs) Yeah. But pay the man too. (laughs) Sure. sure, Give give him some of that Marvel money. I also love that he was candid that like, he didn't write the nightcrawler scene. Like he's, he he gets, he's part of the screenwriting team that did X two. Uh, X-Men United, but that's one like Zach Penn is another guy who worked on yeah. that. And I forget the other names that were attached to it. Um, but it's really cool when writers don't take credit for like, oh, no, that clearly wasn't my bit. You know, yeah. I was in the room, but I didn't come up with that. Someone else did. Yeah. Uh, and I always think that that's really rewarding. Now, Michael, I take total credit for this show at all times. If anyone ever comes up to me out. Yeah. If anyone yeah, ever comes up to me in the bed, Michael also had the story by for um, X-Men Apocalypse. So he really is invested in, you know, the mutant storylines. And and I think that his his way to access uh, and bring them into the MCU would be fantastic. So I didn't hate that movie like everyone else did. It's fine. It's just perfectly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the one that came after Dark Phoenix? That was worse. Ooh, that was bad. Oh, my God. I, I legit up till this moment forgot that movie existed. We did the junket. Well, I know we did. And remember, we did the junket the night after the Game of Thrones finale, like the yes. night after one of the biggest moments in television history. Yeah. And we got to the junket and they told us you cannot ask Sophie about Game of Thrones. Yes. I just remember being like, wait, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> what do you what do you mean? You don't ask her about Game of Thrones. Like, what do you like? Right. I just I couldn't. It's, now, one of those, it's now. like counterintuitive. It's like, do you realize how many people would watch that and then see yeah. your poster next Ex- to her? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. And not be like, oh, she's in yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. That would that pairing in that room was her and Jessica Chastain. That's and they right. were wonderful. Yeah. Together. Oh, my God. That was a fun. That was a, I love Jessica Chastain. They were great. And then the other pairing was McAvoy and Fassbender. And oh those two that love each good. other. Yeah. They together, love yeah. each other. Yeah. Their chemistry is so fantastic. Oh, and, that, and that's the junket where um, we all individually got Ty, Ty Sheridan. Yes. And then yes. we got him later in the afternoon for Real Blend. And when he walked in the room and saw the th- that the that the podcast was made up of the, these three reporters he talked to individually, didn't he look at us and go like, "Oh, this makes sense." Yeah, <laughs> which, which <laughs> I just took, which I just took that as such a huge compliment. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know he saw a lot of people that day. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Again, go see Trick or Treat, uh, Michael Doherty's film, back in theaters from October twenty first to twenty seventh. Um, this specific interview was brought to you by AMC Thrills and Chills. Uh, which brings you the very best in horror and suspense. If you're looking for a terrifying trip to the theater, remember you've come to the right place at AMC theaters. They're always on the hunt to find mainstream indie and international horror that is sure to make your skin crawl. So AMC celebrates the best in horror and is doing so this week with a cult classic like trick or treat. Check, check the description down below for more information on where you can get tickets to screenings in your market and possibly see some other cool horror movies that are playing there, like Smile, which I would like to catch up on. 
That was um, and, beautifully ad-libbed, Sean. Thank you very, thank you very much. It's about making it feel natural. Uh, there's a flow to it. I'll get better at that. Don't worry about it. Uh, let's get into the talking points for this week, and they are going to include the DC shakeup. A uh, ton of news that sort of dropped midweek as Warner Brothers prepares to unleash Black Adam on the world, and there's a lot of news that dropped in this. And some of it makes me believe that they are worried uh, that Black Adam is not tracking as well as they would like it to be. So they get ahead of that with some big news of like, hey, in addition, we've got all this really cool stuff that's coming. And but DC has been notorious for doing this. And so some of the things that got mentioned uh, in both a Hollywood Reporter and a Variety uh, news break that came out around the same time, which meant it was very much coordinated um, is uh, the studio being bullish on Henry Cavill returning for a Man of Steel part two and to the point where they um, would like to get Christopher McQuarrie to write it. And I know McQuarrie was circling that project uh, several years back and Brandon Davis, friend of the show, uh, had a really great quote from an old McQuarrie interview where he said, would you ever be interested in approaching, you know, Superman? to try to crack that story. And, and McQuarrie said like, Hey, I worked with Henry on fallout. We had a lot of downtime on set and the two of us shot the shit about what we would do with Superman uh, a lot. So he goes, Hey, Henry has a really good idea. And I love the idea he has. So if they can bring McQuarrie in to do that, then like, I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Like who's opposed to that. Right. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you can't go on Macquarie doing anything like it's it's it, it sounds first of all, it sounds weird to say, like, I'm excited to see him be done with Mission Impossible because and I don't mean that in like an insulting way, but it's just sort of this like I'm sure Mission Impossible uh, the next two, seven and eight are going to be phenomenal. Right. But there's but a massive part. They of have it, a formula. They have a yes, formula. That, yeah. That which we he know he can do. To. Yeah. So now I'm excited to see him. Uh, kind of see what else he can do. And the idea of him bringing that to, okay, let me ask you though, is Snyder's out, right? Like he's not, there's no possible way they would bring Snyder back to do Man of Steel 2. I read a quote, I don't know about specifically Man of Steel, but wasn't there kind of like a soft quote out there, like kind of just threw it out there where some, I forget which executive it was. Someone mentioned like, never say never was essentially what they said of like, oh, I wouldn't say he's never going to do that, but also I don't know that Snyder's interested. I was going to say, it might be more like not getting, it might be like there, let me try that again. It might be more about the idea of like the fact that Snyder won't come back. I mean, he's been giving kind of carte blanche over at Netflix these days. True, but he, well, but Netflix doesn't necessarily have the IP that he might have fun making. And historically speaking, and kind of what we'll get to here in a little bit, studios change hands all the time as far as who's in charge and who who, who you have to work with. So Warner Brothers of old is, is much different. Let's jump to that, because as we're recording this, we're recording this on the day that um, a name that most people might not recognize. But if you've been paying attention to the story at all, uh, Walter Hamada, who was the president of DC Films, uh, is leaving. And it's part of the David Zaslav coming in and taking over Warner Brothers and merging it with Discovery. Uh, And he put two other people in place that were eventually going to uh, replace Hamada but I don't even know if they're the long-term solution. And over the course of The Rock sort of teasing uh, the inclusion of Superman in future DC films, uh, Rock made it very clear that Walter Hamada was the one who was kind of blocking Henry returning for reasons that we don't know yet, like what what the reason was. 
So, yes, some of the people who that Snyder had uh, butted heads with, uh, Toby Emmerich, Walter Hamada, are gone. Jeff Johns is still there. And Jeff Johns is someone who uh, you believe reports uh, conflicted with Zach about, especially specifically the tone of Superman, because Jeff Johns is more of the hope and optimism and Snyder likes his, his darker tones. But um, with these people at the top clearing out, you know, it feels a little bit more possible that Zach could come back. But I'm with Jake and the fact that, like, he can do whatever he wants it. Like, he's got the Army of the Dead franchise expanding there. And this new one is massive, right? The Was it Red Moon? Sorry, Rebel, Moon Rebel, Rebel Moon, Moon Rebel could, Moon. could become a trilogy. It looks like it's going to be a giant sci-fi epic type yeah. thing that he could spend a decade working on. He wants it's that sh- to be his Star Wars. Yeah. You know, like, he's he didn't get a Star Wars movie, but he Zach loves Star Wars more than DC. That's just plain. Like, he's, he's awesome. a Star Wars fanatic. And so it's weird that they never gave him a shot at a Star Wars movie or even some sort of the properties. Well, I but mean, this, the, he's the kind Star of making Wars his stuff own has been during he, he's been in such a mess for the last handful of years, let alone being the voice of that beforehand, the voice of DC sure. beforehand. I could see where it would be I mean, hard for him just, to even sign on to something like that. Yeah, but they should just announce it because Star Wars loves announcing filmmakers <laughs> just attached say to Star without, Wars movies and then, without and talking not. to Snyder yeah. at all. Well, yeah. I mean, just like, I mean, they love announcing directors and projects that never end up happening. So, I mean, Hopefully, just say, yeah, we, just say, yeah, we got to Spielberg's doing one, too. Scorsese's says he's doing one. Hopefully they're they're, you know, whittling away and figuring out how to make Star Wars movies. <laughs> the one that breaks my heart the most is Patty Jenkins, because that yeah. video she filmed was beautiful. Oh, my God. So touching. Is, is that is that the Star Wars equivalent of the the dark universe picture? I guess it would be yes. Just that, like we're gonna point She's, that and be like, "What the hell happened?" Do we have, okay, <laughs> let me ask: How much, like, how how much of them pushing aside the Patty Jenkins uh, movie came from the success of Top Gun? That's what where I was basically, they're like, "Yeah," the, where they're like, "We can't top that." I think significantly. I, I think a, I think a significant amount of the success of Top Gun made them rethink what they were doing there. Now, I do think they also had some script problems with it. Sure, and they were gonna gonna go back to the drawing board. Um, but don't announce it unless you have a yeah. solid script that you love. Imagine it's, their script is just like, it's literally just Top Gun in space. Like it was the same idea. Yeah. Like there was a school and they were going to learn how to be fighter pilots. With a dollar sign for some reason at the end, even though it makes no sense. They had this impossible mission. I, I saw a tweet the other day that's like, just a reminder of how hard it is to make a movie. There are a team of people that cannot figure out how to make Mahershala Ali killing vampires good. And now it's, like, it's like just a reminder that like well, filmmaking and writing scripts are really we're hard. way off the DC conversation. Oh, yeah, we're, yeah, I'm sorry, is, yeah. Is there is there issue not can you make Mahershal Ali killing vampires good or is it that Blade 1 and Blade 2 in particular are so good that you have to find a way to make something that's as good but different? You know, like like yeah, that, is that the needle that they're trying to thread? Well, and also they've got the hurdle of I'm assuming it being PG-13. And yeah. also the like, uh, how do we also fit this into a bigger well, puzzle, which is two hurdles that that um, Wesley Snipes blade never had to deal with. I, I've answered your first or you've answered your first question. Then how do you make it good? Well, you you made it get R rated. Make it R. <laughs> Would they ever do that in the, in the same way that um, I know we're going to talk about She-Hulk in a bit. But I mean, how I guess I guess my thing is whenever you take the big swings and you go nuts on the individual projects, whether it be making one R rated or making one where you can uh, you know, break the fourth wall and talk directly to the audience or, you know, mm. my question becomes, you know, Marvel is always working toward the crossovers. Then how do you 
utilize those in the crossovers and still have it make sense. Like I still don't under like some of the things that we'll happened talk, in She-Hulk. We'll probably talk understand. about this in, in the sheet. We're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to rank She-Hulk briefly after this. We'll probably talk more about it. Then we can continue with DC, but yep. I think that maybe they're getting away from that. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. In uh, other news that broke throughout that course of that news dump is that Ezra Miller's the flash may already have a complete script written for the sequel. Um, which is great if you're encouraged about the future of that franchise. Yet at the same time, Ezra Miller uh, might be facing two decades uh, of prison time. Um, So we only only saw um, Ezra as the flash. What briefly we saw them in uh, Batman versus Superman. And then I guess audiences, those that did go see justice league in theaters um, would have seen them in that. Yeah. But it's, there's not, I don't feel like there's so, and that was what, like, five six years ago like there's not that much of an attachment to them that i feel like there's going to be you know you know riot in the streets right right uh, yeah yeah, yeah. i agree but there also is the fact that for anyone who who did watch snyder's cut of justice league like they raved about ezra miller like i think that that they were one of the reasons that people were sort of celebrating that film and their performance was yeah. a standout so yeah. um yeah. and they benefited the most from yes. the snyder cut i believe i believe that, that the flash storyline was the one that that came out most better. That doesn't sound right. Came out the best as a result of most us getting that most more improved. Out time. Most improved. Well most done. improved well done, player sir. of the year. Well <laughs> we see a moment in the Flash movie where Ben Affleck's Batman meets Michael Keaton's Batman, then I don't see a reason why some of these reshoots, mm-hmm. these mm. most recent reshoots, mm. can't include Ezra Miller's version of Barry Allen mm. meeting another Barry mm. Allen. And then that Barry Allen becomes the one who carries the franchise. Well, forward. didn't TV Barry Allen already meet movie yeah. Barry Allen? In TV. That, that, yes. that happened, on, yes. On the TV so, side. So, so we're, we're already laying the groundwork. Let me ask you, Michael. I love Michael Keaton, and I love interviewing Michael Keaton. Yeah. But he, not to the degree of like a Harrison Ford, but he's he's also been very open about the fact that like he doesn't really follow this stuff. He doesn't really right. know what's going on. If he has to take the lead in the press next summer in right. terms of junkets and interviews and stuff right. and right. their lead for their two hundred million dollar superhero movie is basically like, I don't really know what's going on in any of these movies. But I mean, is that I mean, it's going to be great. And I really hope that I mean. I really hope that that's kind if, of the case. If I'm working PR for that, I'm taking the reins <laughs> off of like, ask him whatever Batman whatever, questions you want. Yeah. Are you, like, yes. Don't worry about yeah, it yeah, having yeah. to be yeah. Batman in this movie. Yeah. Well, and the Muschietti's are both really good interviewers. Yes. Oh, they're yeah. Not, yeah. And I know they're not moving the needle, but like they're super invested in the property so they could give really good interviews. I will Sean, say this I about work in local television, man. You gotta, you gotta get, <laughs> I know I need, I, I need know. Keaton. Um, but you've interviewed Ezra before and the, mm-hmm. they're not the best in interviews, you know, like they're it could not. be really hit or miss. Right. I, I've never the day. interviewed them solo. I've always had them paired with other people. Um, you never know what you're going to get. Yes, exactly. I've yeah. had good and I've had I've had pretty bad. Yeah. So we'll just say, OK, but in addition to all of this interconnected stuff, that's all still tied to the Snyderverse in some way, shape or force. And, and the, the characters and the actors that Zach has chosen, uh, we also heard that Matt Reeves's corner of the universe is going to be expanding even more. So the Batman 2 uh, has been confirmed. Uh, and then there are multiple projects, I think, both for television, for HBO Max um, and for feature films that are going to be focused on the villains uh, in his world, which I think is really, really is fascinating. Is his um, Gotham PD show still happening? 
I think that's dead. Is that dead? Um, yeah, I thought so too. I think that's dead, but I think Colin Farrell's Penguin is still moving forward. Yeah, did he, say, he, he, he said, I think he said he read the first script already. Yes, I think that's coming together. Um, and Could you imagine having to put on that makeup every day for. He said he loved it, long. though, remember? He did yeah. say he, he said he loved it, but, it because he was able to be someone completely different. Yeah, but I just yeah. feel like that. that I feel like that would get old real fast. I want to know who the villain of Batman Millions of is. I think you just like you look at your bank account while you're sitting there in the sure. makeup chair and <laughs> so. you're fine. Hashtag um, residuals. I oh, we never explained yeah, right? that joke. That's, I don't know if we're going to explain that joke off the top. Uh, but it's, a, it's a fun joke. Watch ja- watch uh, Jake's uh, Henry Thomas interview. When it's yeah. <laughs> yes. You'll be very familiar with that joke. Um, I want to know who Batman 2's villain is, because I think it's going to be Mr. Freeze. Um, I don't oh, know God, why. Please, Mr. Freeze. I would like to see Mr. Freeze. Yes. And I would like for Barry Keegan's Joker to not be integral yet. You know, still keep him on yeah. the sidelines. Well, I, I um, really like the idea of of like him sort of being batman's hannibal lecter that yes. like he's not the main villain like you know like if if, if mr someday. freeze yeah if mr freeze is buffalo bill then then you know batman kind of has to pop into you know the prison and have these sort of really interesting conversations you know like if you i know, like you, that you, in you, concept but i wonder if you can get away with that again i know you what know? you're saying yeah but if you build towards a th- not to get way ahead of ourselves if you build towards a third one and that third one becomes an Arkham Asylum movie mm. where all the inmates get free in the yes. asylum and then it's Joker pulling the strings, you know, and manipulating all those villains that he's caught up to this date. I'm all well, haven't they been talking about that. Like, I, I don't that's such a great concept. Like you put the whole like you basically make it the raid, but yeah. in Arkham Asylum where he starts at the bottom, has to get to the top. That's the movie. I think they I heard a, that yeah. Affleck's move. One of Affleck's. Yeah drafts was going to be that type of movie. yeah yes which is like the, the you have the, like the best thing that batman has going for him is his villains and you have the perfect way to have all of them there you know they don't even all have to play like major roles you can look at a door and see vines coming out of it or something some stuff like yeah. that like it can just be right. like a little it could be just like little touches that fans would just go nuts to, to, to see true yes well we shall see how all of that shakes out let's pivot from dc over to marvel because uh she hulk had its finale and uh it's time to add it to the rankings gabe are we pulling up the chart are we going official Ooh, here we, chart, chart, here we go look at here all those a's let's, that don't belong let's there. take a moment <laughs> yeah let's reflect on this for a moment and the fact that this, i forgot of, how much this one pisses me off of the three original <laughs> uh films the three original yes. trilogies Thor is the only one in the a category iron man and captain america are are both below it just in general are they really yeah yeah i don't hmm. i don't remember what happened with thor so for, for anyone who's, who's new here uh, you can find us uh, i believe it's two parts that we did the main sort of um ranking of the marvel films mcu films in particular and uh for the way this works is that we average out our score so like everyone sort of gave their answer for where they would rank it and then we took an average uh to create the show's tier list so everything is uh not necessarily <laughs> in a great place um but that's the fun of it it's you know we're not taking it too seriously it's fun to see where it ends up when you take four different opinions and try to average i've them lost out. a i've lost a lot of hair stressing out over this at a, four different opinions at a specific time too at a specific so I do time, feel like yeah. my opinions have changed on some of these films and uh but but we we live we live with yeah i mean at this point i can't even remember on hawkeye that 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 tells you everything you need to know look at the arrow did, did you finish hawkeye, hawkeye? <laughs> 
I didn't need to. Oh, that's interesting. So you don't have an opinion on Hawkeye. It's so that's charming. It's super charming. If it were, I would have finished it if it were better. Sure. A pizza dog. Sure. And yes, those are the rules. If you don't finish with the TV shows in particular, because they're harder to keep keep up on, there's more more of a commitment. Um, whoever whoever manages to get through them or enjoys them or watches them, um, we'll rank them when we get there, and then we kind of move on. Maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about coming back to it, but I, I doubt you're going to catch up on uh, either of those. So. So this week, it's just Sean and myself, right? Have have seen uh, She-Hulk in its entirety. Sean, yeah, I did not see She-Hulk. How did you I think we touched base with you on the first few episodes. How did yes. you feel about it now that you've gone through the full season? And then uh, at the end of that, let me know where you would rank it. I have never had a show. Um rebound as quickly uh in its final two episodes as she hulk did mm-hmm. um i legitimately was not enjoying uh the film uh the show i i thought it was cheesy uh more more than anything i just thought it was cheesy i thought um i i, I think i understood what it was trying to do early on you know but like the megan the stallion uh twerking and um, it was a post credit thing. I of, think that was overblown. I think because it was a little post credits bit. But but even like the B plots, the B plots in most oh, of those sorry. earlier episodes. I didn't episodes, say this for the for the audience. We're going to talk about it entirely. So if you don't want to know oh, anything about She Hulk, spoilers abound. Skip ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Well, Go yeah, ahead. the Megan Thee Stallion thing was out there everywhere. Yeah, it's fine. That's not really spoiler. <laughs> yeah, there were B plots to each of them that I found truly obnoxious um like i know that everybody made a big deal about that girl madison and and her uh, connection to connection to wong i just didn't find it funny you know it didn't it didn't make me laugh um and then there was a b plot with like an asgardian uh wizard prankster and then there was one with a magician like these were i i didn't get why they were there i i know i think that they were there because i think the writers legitimately thought they were funny but then there was an episode um, at a retreat uh, where she went to go visit Abominations Retreat and nothing was working for me. And I said, I'm out. I- I'm literally punching out. And I think I tweeted something along the lines of just let me know when Daredevil shows up. Like, I'm just curious. And it ended up being he showed up in the next episode kind of thing. Um, and the last two episodes. I legitimately loved Um I never thought that Tatiana Maslany was was the reason that the show was bad. I thought she was terrific throughout. I loved the way that she handled uh, the meta-ness of it. Uh, and I liked the amount of talking back to the audience that she gave. It wasn't overwhelming, um, but it got really clever, uh, especially in one of the Daredevil episodes, like after the two of them sleep together, where she comes out and she's like, you know, why is this episode still going? Like, we just had a really satisfying conclusion. And then her friend comes out and she's like, we, we have your gown for the gala. And she's like, we're doing the gala in this episode. Like, it's just going to be tacked on. Like, why? And it got really smart. I think I think that's when it got smarter about how to do the meta-ness of the structure. I love Charlie Cox's Daredevil. Um, I loved the costume designer. I thought he was really funny. I forget his name. Um, when they brought in Leapfrog, that was entertaining. He's such a C-level Marvel uh, villain, and he was played perfectly. And then I thought the finale was a legit home run. Like, I just think everything about the finale worked. It embraced everything that was crazy about the show. Um, And so, ultimately, mixed bag. But I want to elevate it 
uh, higher than where I had it because I thought I really loved the last two endings, the last two episodes. And I legitimately loved Tatiana Maslany uh, in the part. But I can't. I can't put it above a C um, because I legitimately thought that the, that the, up until those last two episodes, I, I did not enjoy uh, the bits that we got prior to that. So I'm out of C. Okay. I, I, I'm very similar to you in that I agree that the, the lull in the middle of it was a lull. Um, but the, as I reflect on the show and the more I think about it, I, I think about, sort of my expectations going into it or what it could be or what it might be in sort of the Marvel expectations of it all. And I kind of see that like the, the show was never really interested in being that the show was, was interested in kind of being more of a episode by episode sort of dip into her life with a very mm-hmm. thin through line. That's more sort of tr- like more on the more book ending the, the series than sort of the traditional like arc of a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with that but i don't necessarily disagree with that i think i i enjoyed the episodes as they came but if it weren't for the fact that i was curious about the marvel of it all curious Mm -hmm. about where she was gonna go and how they might end it i would have dropped off i think as well um just because i similarly like i thought the magician and the asgardian storyline were very similar like it was these trickster jokester you know mischievous characters that she was dealing with and they felt yeah they felt very one in the same. And I think those were like almost back to back episodes. Um, and and some if they of- could have been stronger, like legal cases, like if it invested a little more in the legal aspect of it. Yeah, they even got to a point like, like with that immortal guy with all his wives yeah. uh, that he was doing the settlement with like that. That wasn't even like a B. It was a C plot in that episode. Like she wasn't yes. even involved in that case. And like, like right. the case, if it had been, if it had been very strongly, like we're making a legal comedy sitcom, a legal uh, uh, sitcom with a superhero who's solving superhero cases, mm-hmm. then that as a concept, I would find super interesting and would probably enjoy those, you know, when they're sort of treated more directly, but it's sort of just sort of waffled in this middle area of wanting to be an MCU thing that has you excited about the MCU nature of it. Yeah. Wanted it to be its own thing where it was just about this character and sort of doing things that, that we don't necessarily always get uh, in an, in an MCU movie, like a little bit more sort of frivolous stuff or like day to day, like the wedding, the, the stress about her being in the wedding and all those sort of like, very human emotional things that you don't spend time in like a plot driven film. Sure. 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 On top of like, but also we want you to think that it's this legal show. It, it just never, none of it felt super strong throughout the middle of the series, the middle episodes. But I agree with you that the last two episodes are really great. And I did, we talked about going into this, like the, um, how is the fourth wall break going to make sense? Um, and in this, they break the fourth wall in the finale, they break the fourth wall beyond measure by her actually popping out of Disney plus and hopping into a different Disney plus documentary series, which in and of itself is not reality. So like, that's like this interesting thing. Not that we need to spend time dissecting that. Cause I think there are, there are probably other sources of people who like spend all day, every day trying to figure out what this stuff is that probably have more information on it. But it's not like they popped out and she talks to Kevin Feige and it becomes like this weird, like, oh, she's in the real world. She's in the real world, but the real world is still this fictionalized MCU sure. world. And, and sure. K-E-V-I-N is this algorithm and and it is very funny. You know, it's it's meta in a great way. Um, and it's 
to me, maybe I'm maybe I'm giving up with trying to analyze it. But to me, I and I was getting at this earlier, Jake, I feel like they're just not really interested in everything being a tightly threaded rope that weaves together and and comes to a head at the end. And I feel like they Marvel 2.0 post Infinity Saga is more interested in just trying to tell as many unique stories as they can with the characters that they have and keeping them threaded together through the idea of the multiverse and that anything could exist. Um, Do you think they're ever interested in, in doing that, but like in a good way? Well, here's the, the okay. But my point is, I, I think that our expectation is hindering some of that, if that's the case. Like, I think that going into She-Hulk and being like, well, how is She-Hulk going to meet Loki and, uh, you know, uh, Black Panther and all this like like we're thinking about it in the way that the last decade has been like everything's ended with here's how this person folds in and with the multiverse and especially with the TV series I just think they're maybe treating it a little bit more loosely and I could be wrong maybe there'll be a big reveal and it'll all make more sense than it does but a lot of these I think feel more like they're just interested in letting them live on their own and and Tatiana Maslany mentioned in your interview, Sean, which I thought was interesting, was that she always saw the show as an entry point for people who were up to this point weren't necessarily interested in Marvel. And mm-hmm. she thought that the, you know, sort of the meta commentary, which I did think was great and I didn't mention, either of us mentioned, I did think the meta commentary on the uh, Internet trolls was the, the strongest commentary that the show had throughout because it did it really well. It it did it. It waited for like it knew what the audience was going to do at home before it revealed that that's what it was doing. And so there was already this this sort of troll sensation around the show itself. And then within the show, there were these trolls around her like it was that I thought was some of the smartest stuff that it did. Um, But I do think that that's interesting as like as someone who maybe was just interested in She-Hulk as a character and going through these more more sort of, um, you know, like I said, interesting day-to-day things versus high-level superhero things. If that's an entry for some people into Marvel that that feel like they don't need 20 movies to figure out what's going on, I think it works for that. I think it does work for that. And some people love it. That's the other thing. There are people who saw this as like the second coming of Marvel, which I don't agree with. And I also don't agree that it's awful. Like there were some people who talking about it like it was the worst thing that Marvel's ever made. And I don't think it's either of those things. It's it's somewhere in the middle. And with I that, will say for I the first couple on, of episodes... Honestly, but the first couple of episodes, I legitimately had this ranked as like the lowest thing, lowest thing that Marvel had done, because I really thought it was just yeah. cringy. Um, I could not get on board with whatever it was doing. It just wasn't working. Sure. And then it, it then it improved. And I don't know if it improved or if I just finally figured out like, oh, this is what the show is going to be. Right. And that that's possible. Um, but there's the, the, the there's an element of it that still bothers me to this day, which is I just like smart Hulk drives me nuts. Like Smart Hulk showing up at the Fast and Furious, you know, cookout, <laughs> cookout at the end in his he legitimately looks like Dom. Like he's got like a a white T-shirt underneath, like a Hawaiian shirt kind of thing. Yeah. And he's showing up for the cookout. And I was like, oh, where is Hulk? Where I miss Hulk kind of thing. So I don't know. But like but we have a series where She-Hulk can interact with Hulk and Daredevil and introduce some new villains. And I. You know, where are we in 2022 that Marvel has the ability to do that? It still blows my mind. So, yeah, and you agreed I, with me at C, though. You're putting it C. I would say C. I the the last two episodes really like. If I were going with like recency bias, 
uh, the last two episodes are in the B territory for me. Like, I think mm-hmm. they're really good, really interesting. And if the show was more of that, it would it would solidly be in B for me. Um, because because the middle to me is a bit of a mess for myself. Um, mm-hmm. And just I found myself watching it every week because if it had been an hour long show, I would have dipped out a long time ago. But the fact that it was these 20 minute quick episodes and yep. they were fun enough that I didn't regret watching them every week. And I would, I would pop them on when I had time. Um, you know, it was low barrier to entry for me was, was, was good. was writing was good for this show going into it. So, um, it's a bummer that like the middle kind of fell apart for me, but I think C is fair. Okay. Perfect. Let me, let me drop it over there. It is. That's what our list looks like folks. Hulk. See, you can see. Let's see. Incredible. Hulk uh, should be higher than C phase four. Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, Thor, love and thunder. Phase four is not off to the strongest start. We'll see how Black Panther does. Yeah. Is Eternals phase four? Eternals is phase four, right? Eternals yeah. is phase four. Where do we have that? B? That is also at C next to Dr. Strange. Oh. Oh, no, no way. No way home is phase four. That's. Really yeah. That, oh, that's, that's, an, that's an S tier. Yes. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. That is a good one. I, f- I feel pretty good about that then. Yeah, but in a weird way like that, I don't want to say it doesn't count, but it doesn't count. Loki, Cheat. Loki's an A, and definitely is an A. Yeah, Moon Knight yeah, I think is an Black A. Black Panther, Black Panther has the ability to be an S. I hope oh, so. God, I hope yeah. so. Based I mean, on based on the trailers alone. Yep. Again, Black Panther was in the Marvel universe. Black Panther is kind of like one of the very few standouts as far as like the cultural impact of it, and like how many people were actually talking about it, enjoying that film, versus yeah. the typical like, oh, it's going to make a billion dollars and it'll be another Marvel movie. Like Black Panther even superseded Marvel's expectations, which yeah, I think is going to make this one very interesting to see. But anyway, Moon Knight, Moon Knight's an A. <laughs> I, really I like, like it. Moon Knight. I, I, I really like, like Moon Knight a lot. I like I really, it a lot. Yes. Really I'm excited like to see Moon where Knight. they go with it. So. All right. There we go. I love it. That's our list. And we're back. And All right. We're going to take back. a quick break and then uh, we'll catch you guys on the other side with this week in movies, which includes a black Adam review. Stick around for that. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And we are back. So a bunch of movies coming to theaters uh, this week, some of them in limited run, some of them going to streaming, and uh, we've been able to catch a couple of them. And then uh, Jake in particular, and then oh, I actually have some Black Adam interviews that we could talk about, too. Uh, but we're going to start with The Banshees of Inishirin, which is a film that's been making the, the rounds on the film I'm festival so circuit. I'm so dying to see this. I'm so jealous you've seen it. Same. It is Martin McDonough. Yeah, uh, so it's a genius. Most recently made waves with uh, three billboards of um, what was it? Mont- uh, Montana. Uh, three three, uh, three uh, billboards of Elling, Belling. Ebbing. <laughs> Ebbing. Ebbing. Ebbing, outside, Missouri. Outside Ebbing, Missouri. There you outside go. Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah, that's a mouthful of the title. Um, and this one is a, a throwback more toward um, the type of movie he made with like in Bruges, but also which is a huge compliment because that's my that's my favorite of his. It's, and I mean, uh, a lot of it because it's Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell sure. together. Um, but then uh, Mark McDonough is also really well known for these plays that he wrote, which I've, were set in Ireland. I've um, seen a few and, of them and they're, they're yeah. oh, I've seen a few of his pieces on. Uh, I actually saw. Um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe in New York on one of them. And then I saw one of his plays in Houston where they, oh, wow. I think I've told you where they, it was such a blood cause he, he does very bloody stuff too. Uh, it was such a bloody play and I was near the front that I had to wear a tarp because of the blood. Get that would, it was fantastic. Yeah, oh, it was fantastic. Oh, that's cool. I'm sorry. I, I didn't right. interrupt. I'm sorry. So Banshees, um, is a very unusual premise. Um, and when I tell you what it is, you're going to be like, how did they make a movie out of this? Um, it's essentially just Colin Farrell, uh, and Brendan Gleeson uh, live in this same tiny Irish village, um, and there isn't much to do in the village besides head to the pub, essentially. Um, and whenever anybody bumps into the two of them uh, at, at individual points when they're not with each other, they're constantly asked, like, oh, where's the other guy kind of thing? And, and you get the impression they've been together for a long time. And then one day out of the blue, Brendan Gleeson's character just tells Colin Farrell's character, like, I don't I don't like you anymore um, and I don't. I don't want to hang out with you. And Colin Farrell, you know, of course, at the beginning, he's just like, oh, you're joking. We do everything together. And then Brendan Gleeson, um, this is as far as I'll take it. Brendan Gleeson essentially says, like, look, I'm running out of time. Uh, you know, I like, keep waiting on you to do an Irish accent, and I feel no, like I, I feel like you're, I, dis- I, I feel like you're so, this close to doing so an offensive. Even though, even, though, even though you have the name O'Connell, I just don't know if we can I get away with you doing. That I, I also, I, I can't do it. Like, I just don't have a good one, so I won't even. But, but every time you, you start to speak as the characters, yeah. there's a right. there's a split moment where I'm like, oh my god, he's about to do a really bad not, Irish accent. I, I promise you, I am not going to do it. Um, and and he says he essentially says to Colin Farrell, he's like, look, I'm sorry, but like you're dull, like you're a dull person and I've tolerated you for this amount of time, but I just, I'd rather be doing other things with whatever time I have left. Right. 
And it's how it sort of escalates from there. And if you know Martin McDonough at all, things can go very bleak um, and take some really dark turns. Uh, and this one definitely does. Um, but it also. You your allegiance to the two men in the movie switches constantly. And it's really clever in that certain things will happen. And then you'll be like, oh, Brendan Gleeson's character is 100 percent right. You know, and then something else will shift and they'll be like, oh, I'm with Colin Farrell's character. And that goes right up until the very end. So I understand that you hear the premise of like one guy tells the other guy he doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. Like, how are they going to stretch it into a movie? But I'm telling you, there's plenty of stuff well, waiting gotta, for you. Hearing that premise, film. but hearing that it's Martin McDonough makes me go like, yeah. okay, like I'm in. Like, I'm so, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, don't forget, like Seven Psychopaths is basically about stealing a guy's dog and uh and trying yes. to take advantage of uh you know try to hold the dog for ransom and then it turns into everything that seven psychopaths turns into um yes. and bruges is about two guys who messed up a job and have to go wait like that's yeah. that's that's what in bruges so like he's really good yeah. at taking these very simple premises and then turning them into truly you know what's funny is that i actually feel like despite the fact that three billboards is probably his most successful film it's the one that you know won a couple of oscars um it's it's that's probably my least favorite of his no oh, i, I, I so still too. i still love it but yeah. i would rank seven psychopaths and in bruges leaps and bounds above where where would you put Inishmore um in, in his feature film ranking if you had to rank them under in bruges um but ahead of psychopaths and okay. three billboards Cool. I didn't love three billboards. Um, and I, I just think he's stronger when he's telling stories that are set in the motherland. I think, I think sure. that he, because the characters that surround these two add to the atmosphere so much, sure. like in a way they're kind of dumbfounded that it happened, but then in a way they don't want to rock the apple cart too much. Yeah. Uh, and there's a certain point where Brendan, uh, Brendan Gleeson, um, puts like an ultimatum on the table of like, if you don't stop talking to me, like, this is going to happen. And then everyone else in the town is like, oh, you got to stop. And then other people are like, I think you should keep going. Just Let's to just see, if see what happens. Yeah. Is he really it's in the trailer? The, the thing that he's the thing that you're referring to is in the trailer. Oh, is it? OK, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Um, but it's really funny. It's like it's totally unexpected. And uh, and I'm, I guarantee you, by the time you get to the end of the movie, you will have no clue uh, what is coming. So um, it's very rewarding. It's unlimited right now. Oh, and, did you, uh, did you have a score for it? I would give it four out of five. I'd give it four out of five. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So uh, VHS 99 is coming out uh, appropriately Shutter. for Halloween. Shutter, I think exclusively. OK, mm. cool. Uh, going to the Shutter service. That's the uh, found footage anthology. Are they all found footage? Mm-hmm. VHS ones? That's isn't, kinda, it, isn't it the idea that like you, they found a tape they somewhere? Tapes. Yeah, I believe yeah. it's the whole. Okay. And it gives um, up and coming voices in horror. Uh, a chance to do many a of which film, have been so. on this show. Yeah, very true. Uh, the school of good and evil is coming to Netflix. Don't know a whole heck of a lot about that. I don't even know who's associated with it, but um, that will be there on the streaming service. Uh, Jake got a chance to see Rit, uh, Raymond and Ray for Apple TV plus. This is Ewan McGregor and, and Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Okay. Having having Joel, Joel Edgerton. Yeah, so uh, I, I was not a big fan of this film, to be honest with you. It's a, it starts, it's a very simple premise. It's basically um, uh, Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke play brothers. Ewan McGregor shows up at Ethan Hawke's house one day and says, listen, our dad died. We need to go take care of it. And it's them kind of dealing with all of the trauma that their dad inflicted upon them and everything that they 
their dad, who sounds like just like this horrible person, did to them and them sort of coming to terms with it. Not the most original premise in the world. Like, you know, it's not the first movie in the world that, that in which, you know, uh, kids have to deal with parental trauma, you know, f- post death. It doesn't really have anything new or interesting to say that that sort of uh, cinematic trope hasn't been done before. Um you know, th- their dad was a dick, you know, and that's in that, it's so much so that he, that he named his two sons, Raymond and Ray to like t- as a joke, because they thought it'd be funny to like people got him confused. Um, you <laughs> know, uh, kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, Hawk and 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 McGregor are are good and, and they're good when they share, you know, when they I mean, they're a majority of the scenes they share together. But neither of them are turning in career best work here. And I think just just because the the, the script itself is. It's just fairly, you know, like they go back to the small town and, and they, they run into people who have things to say about their dad. And it's just, you know, what's interesting, though, is that in a way, McGregor has made a similar film, but a much better version of it in Big Fish. Like McGregor. Mm. But but in this case, McGregor played the father. Um, you know, a, a, a young boy has to come to terms with, you know, the bad relationship he had with his father while his father's on his deathbed. So if you're looking for a McGregor film about, you know, coming to terms with your father's death, he apparently he has multiple ones in his filmography and, and, and Raymond and Ray is not the better one. I would give it probably a two and a half out of five. Okay, Uh, let's go to Ticket to Paradise. And I want to mention that uh, on next week's show, we're going to have a bonus episode with uh, co-star Caitlin Deaver. Mm -hmm. People know from Booksmart and... um, She's been involved at a couple other really popular television shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, here is playing the daughter of uh, two up and comers, George Clooney and Julia Roberts, yeah. uh, who is getting married. Those, those kids, I hope they I hope things work out well for them. I really do. Uh, I have faith. Uh, they got the they're... stuff. They got the stuff. Uh, Jake, you did the uh, re, um, uh, interviews for this, which mm-hmm. are up and running now on your YouTube. Um, yeah. But how is the how is the film? Look, I, I, I really enjoy this. I, I hate this cliche, um, but it, it very much is, quote unquote, the kind of movie they don't make anymore. And sure. what, what I mean by that is here's here. I mean, when was the last time you saw a blooper reel over the credits? It's been like too long, but I do oh, love those. That is there's, great. There's a great blue. <laughs> and, and, and like whenever that popped up, it was just one of those like, oh, my God, when was the last time like a comedy had that it's very yeah. like late 90s early 2000s ro- you know romantic comedy look you can watch the trailer and figure out what's going to happen like they're of not course. trying to surprise anyone but the movie rests on the charm and the chemistry that julia roberts and george clooney share and that is just fantastic like them like tearing into each other and, you know, and like for a majority of the movie, because they're a divorced couple is, you know, they've been divorced like 15, 20 years and they're um, reuniting because they're going to um, their daughter's wedding kind of with the intention of hopefully talking her out of marrying this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're fantastic together. There are some beats that work better than others. There are, there's a hilarious dance sequence that everyone's talking about. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. They are a lot of fun. They are the reason that it is worth seeing. I can't imagine, honestly, anyone going to see this, seeing what it is and walking out saying they're disappointed. Like, like mm. it's it delivers what it promises. It sure. doesn't promise the greatest film in the world and it doesn't deliver the greatest film in the world, but it delivers it like, you know, it, it gets on base. Um, I, I would probably give this uh, do, 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 three and a half out of five. 
Okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, you have been saying heading into this weekend that you think it's going to overperform. I'm with you on that. Yeah, um, I mean, well, so what would overperform? I, I know right now projections are like 15 million, and that feels really low to me. I know it's yeah. going up against Black Adam, but I think it could do like mid 20s, high 20s. I, I'm even thinking 30. I honestly, I there's a part of me that thought 30, but I didn't know if that was being opted. I didn't know how much, but I guess Black Adam and, and Ticket to Paradise are two completely different audiences. Completely different. The only issue that Ticket to Paradise might run into is that I happen to look at the uh, times for Black yeah. Adam, and it's one of those situations where it's playing at 3.30, 4, 4.15, sure. 5, 5.45. Yeah. So I don't know how many screens yeah. Ticket to Paradise is even going to get. Yeah. Um, I, I, I could also see Ticket to Paradise having pretty good legs. I know, you know, it's it's like my mom really wants to see it. She yeah. might not go this weekend, but sure. she'll probably end up good. So I could see it doing one of those, like, even if it does open at like 20 or 25, maybe week two, it's like 15 million. You know, like I could see it holding very well. Is Halloween ends this week or is it last week? Last week. Oh, did we talk about what it opened to? It, it did. It did. Uh, uh, 43. No, like 40, 40. I, I think I a, think that I think the initial projection was 41. But I think when when adjusted, let me pull um, up right it, now. it was ended up at. being 40. And it, it, it was I think the lowest of the trilogy. I know. Yes. That much. Yes. OK, interesting. Um, and I wonder what that drop is going to be also especially with it being on Peacock. So that'll be fascinating. All right, let's get into Black Adam. But, uh, you know, but, but really quickly for, for Halloween box office, um, you, you know, it had uh, Halloween ends had the highest box office uh, per Michael Myers minute in the movie. Oh, well, oh, that wow. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, I saw a statistic that there is he's in the movie more than he is in the first John Carpenter movie. OK, yeah, Ooh. but the, but but you forget, though, that the, the biggest difference is that the John Carpenter film when Michael Myers isn't there is good. Um. Counterpoint, counterpoint. It's a tennis match in here, folks. Halloween is is good. It's just different. But but also, but even though he's not in the original Halloween, like on camera that much, he's still the main antagonist. Sure. As opposed to like that kid, Corey. (laughs) Corey. Well, while you're on the box, I mean, you talk about it being the lowest or whatever. It is a $30 million budget, apparently. Sure. Worldwide, it's already almost doubled that oh it's, it's a it is a it is a success sure. of a film it's like good. no one can no one can i saw a um a quote from jamie lee curtis briefly. we'll we'll be back yeah. soon oh 100 <laughs> well you know but aren't you kind of amazed that like i i know we got the the nightmare remake with jackie earl haley and then we got the friday the 13th remake yeah um but I, like, here's what i would love to happen i would love that now that this is i think gonna get a pause for i mean even if it's blumhouse again Mm-hmm. to do the same treatment with either one of those like to come back in and, and sure. be like is there a storyteller that has like an interesting right well who was it that up? who was sean you sent the tweet about the someone had the idea for the legacy nightmare movie heather langenkamp wants to come back and fight oh, right. freddy oh right, right, right yeah yeah yeah. she but has it said only why works can't i do if this? you get it only works if you get robert back Yes. And, and I'm her, not sure though. he would do it. Oh, I, well, the thing is, I think she would do it. I don't know if he I mean, he's been yeah. he's been saying for years that he's done with it. Now, granted, you back up the Brinks truck. Sure. People change their mind about things. Um, but I, you know, Dick's I, analogy I've, brought to you by Brinks, <laughs> not a money truck. Um, Brinks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, I, and the thing is, I think I mean, Robert, we, Robert could still play Freddie like you don't need. Like he's, he he's a physical character. Show. Yeah, he, he he's, he's a physical she character. The voice and I got chills. Yeah, yeah. It's so he's still he's still got it. Um, 
God. Oh, my God. I, I think that that would be huge because that's really the only horror movie monster where the actor genuinely matters. Am I wrong? Yes. Well, Jason, I mean, the mask is. Yeah, is yeah. really makes it a difference. I mean, you could have your favorite Jason. And for most people, it's Kane Hodder. But like but it, there's I, no I, there's no counterpoint to Jason the way that Laurie and Michael. Sure. And Nancy and, and Freddie are right. You know, yeah. Jason's just had camp counselors yeah. left and right, which is so. fun. Jason, Jason's what? a concept like he's like a fun formula that sure come back every mm-hmm. once in a while. Yeah. OK, here's the here's the real question. You get the legacy nightmare movie. You get yeah. Heather back. You get England back. Yeah. A genius finds a way to bring mm-hmm. debt back. Oh, wow. But he died. Like, I know. But like whether it be I know, you find <laughs> you find a way, man. All right. Sure, why Dude. not? Okay. But he's the Drew Barrymore of it. He dies horribly in the beginning of it. Yes. As, yes. As, but no, here's the twist. Here's how you bring him back. He's in the universe. He's Captain Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Billion dollar movie. Walt Disney Pictures presents. Why are people not hiring us? <laughs> this just makes so wait, much sense. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Freddie haunts the dreams of Captain Jack Sparrow. Now Hold that's on. a movie. No, no, no. He's playing himself in the beginning of the movie. He's Johnny okay. Depp. Okay. And he's fielding a phone call to come back for the nightmare <laughs> reboot. Oh, right? my God. And in the process of it, he dies. He gets killed. Oh, my God. This Christmas, it's the scariest nightmare you've ever heard of. So you have heard of me. <laughs> I love it. I like oh, this. All right, come on, Black Gold. Adam. Let's get this out. Of, let's get this out of the way. <laughs> oh no, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, Christ man! Yeah. Um, um, why don't you go first? Because you liked it more than I did. Yeah, um, I, I, I really liked it for what it was. Okay. Um, look, I, I will be the first person to tell you that, like, the script is a mess. Yeah, it's a t- complete and total mess. Um, I love Dwayne Johnson, and I think he's perfect for this part that being said i wouldn't expect to see him at the oscars um <laughs> for, presenting, for, you maybe. Know, yeah. presenting maybe um but i thought the action was phenomenal and the the movie is 98 percent action sequences mm-hmm. so much so that a majority of the action sequences take place within about a two square block radius they so do. much. I remember there was a moment where I was like, oh, is the whole movie. Maybe is that the bit of this movie that the whole movie takes place right here in this one spot? Um, <laughs> and I think I think it's visually beautiful. I think it is like I love the look of it. Like I think like there's so many shots. I'm like, Mwah. like that's a good. I love the colors. I love, you know, I, there are great. There are some really fun needle drops. Um, Black Adam was a lot. I mean, I know they. It, 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 these whole like anti-hero movies are always so like interesting because like they try to like make you think oh like they're not a hero and then they end up being a hero um kevin makes a really great comparison that the film is basically terminator 2 uh yeah but but i will say that black adam was a lot more the character himself was a lot more brutal than i expected him to be mm-hmm. um he did play a lot more into the like i have no problem killing people uh trope than i thought they were going to i really thought they were going to shy away from that I really enjoyed it. It's not one of the greatest superhero films I've ever seen. It's probably it's not even the best superhero film this year because at that title I'd give to probably the Batman. Um, no, definitely the Batman. Um, but I, I really I really dug it for me. It's a it's a really enjoyable, recommendable three and a half out of five. OK. Oh, wow. That's your three and a half. Um, 
I, I seriously disliked it. Uh, and it, it. So not, so not even like it was fine. You like actively disliked it. My grade is one and a half out of five. Oh, wow. And the extra half is just cause of Dwayne Johnson. Um, because I do think that he's, he's good for the role. Mm-hmm. Um, it is unusual. And I've seen several people write this, that, that you cast him as a character that is by design has no charisma, you know, mm-hmm. and is supposed to be, uh, somber and, and upset most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can play that. He, he is able to play that. Um, I, the story, as you mentioned, is, is really dumb. Like yeah. there's, there are, I don't mm-hmm. get the Shazam aspect of it. There's a whole Shazam thing about trying to get him to say the word Shazam. And I don't get that. I don't understand his connection to Shazam. They're um, the same source of power. Is that right? Yeah, they do have the Council of Wizards and Jaiman Hansu is in it. And they make a a big deal in the movie, uh, which is, again, this is part of the reason why I thought that that no one really gave a crap about uh, the movie making any sense, because there is a... um, a master, essentially, uh, or what What did they call um, uh, his role? Uh, it was the um, like the protector or, or something like that. That was uh, the champion. Oh, the champion that the Council of Wizards chooses a champion. And you're supposed to believe the entire time that it was uh, that it's Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the trailer, the opening scene of the trailer, he says, my son sacrificed himself you know, for the for the good of uh, this person. And this is why I'm so angry. But then that becomes the surprise reveal at the end of the movie where it's like, oh, Dwayne Johnson wasn't the champion. His son has been the champion this whole time. But you showed us in the opening scene of the trailer that the son is going to die. So when we meet the son through the flashbacks and they don't kill him, I was like, wait a second. I think you tipped your hand in the trailer. <laughs> And I think that he's going to die later. But you can't, you can't fault the movie for that. That's not the movie's fault. No, true. Like, like that's, that's true. you know, that's the, the, you know, the movie didn't know what the trailer was going to be like. That's true. And so if they wanted to hide that till the third act reveal, that's fine. Um, there is something introduced in the course of the early part of it called um, Eternium. I want to say that it is, um, oh, which no. is some sort of a, a blue substance that feels like it could is, injure is, is this related to unobtainium are we getting an it's avatar not, it's not totally different okay it's completely different just as um, effective though it sounds like as far as the narrative and then in the and it, and it looks like it's going to be something that the that the people who are are attacking this condoc this this area that the black adam's going to protect that they could use it to really take him down and and in the middle of the movie just they stop talking about it like that's not no one mentions eternium anymore uh, the JSA shows up and they have to try to take Black Adam down. Um, but there's so little character development for them that I legitimately just associate them with characters that they resemble from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I know that that's not fair, but like Hawkman looks like the Falcon uh, to me. Um, and Dr. Fate, who's Pierce Brosnan's character, he basically has the powers of Dr. Strange. And they don't really explain in any great detail like what their powers are or how they operate. Um, so I had no, does he ever ask in the other members to Scooby do this crap? He doesn't. Oh, no. Okay, okay. No, okay. but he might as well have at this uh, point. Pierce giving um, that delivery might've been different. Oh my God. So, and then there's a whole subplot with a human family, uh, that is tied up in black Adam because they were around at the time when he gets rejuvenated. 
Uh, and it's like Jake says, where everything sort of takes place over a course of a two block radius that no matter where the fight is taking place, this human family happens to be there and right in the crosshairs of some of the battle that's happening. Um, and one is a kid, which is why Kevin sort of brings up that Terminator 2 thing where he's you know teaching Black Adam that he has to have a catchphrase. And there are humorous bits supposedly sprinkled throughout this movie. I thought all of them failed. I thought all of them failed. Like they just bombed like they were out of like the early 2000s. And then my issue, the, the reason why I finally just chucked it and was like, now I actually hate this is because the last half hour is just a CGI cluster. Um, and and there's a villain that gets introduced and there are. I can't even begin to explain because we're not into a spoiler bit, but like it's it's overwhelming. Like I was legitimately well, waving the white you said flag. A bit. Do, you wanna, like, do you want to do you want to put up the, the spoiler flag and then and do a couple spoilers before you round off? We can. Yeah, we can do that. Why don't we put up the spoiler flag at this point now? And from this point on, we're going to get into specifics about the end of Black Adam um, and and big reasons why it didn't work. And then also a little bit about uh, where it could potentially heading in the future. So uh, spoilers begin right now. There's a moment when Dr. Fate has to, like, sacrifice himself Mm -hmm. uh, and he walls off this canyon and and Hawkman can't get through. um, But all he's doing is, like, distracting Black Adam uh before the members of the JSA can go and do something else when all he really had to do was just do that before going through where he's going like the sacrifice meant nothing and when hawkman gets to dr fate he's like i just don't want my friend to die and all this jazz and i was like i don't know who you guys are like we don't have an established connection between who you are so i'm not invested in this in the least bit and they do this bit where dr fate is able to like multiply himself and it legitimately looks like Doctor Strange when he made himself into a hundred different Doctor Stranges. And the way that they fight Black Adam but can't really fight him is overwhelming. And everything from the moment, like the Gabe, Black Adam gets detained, right? And he gets put into the Task Force X prison. So you get uh, James Gunn's wife showing up, uh, playing her part from Peacemaker. James Gunn's And they wife. put, yeah, Jennifer Holland. She's there a peacemaker. Go. There you go. Uh, I just wanted you to squad. say her name and not James. I blanked Gunn's on wife. her name. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I blanked on her name for a second, but now I know it's Jennifer Holland. Um, and they put him in this prison and he's legitimately in there for two minutes. And then they let him out <laughs> so that he can go fight the bad guy at the end. And everything from that point on to me was just like a wall of CGI that I couldn't. You're it's a such a headache. I had such a headache. Did you think the final fight and the final battle and that devilish nemesis was good? The final fight reminded me of kind of the turn that Wonder Woman takes. Uh, Remember when like the villain and Wonder Woman are like he reveals himself to be like this big CGI creature. That's what it kind of. But but that but honestly, like I that's I don't that's kind of what I thought this movie was going to be just the rock beating the hell out of a bunch of CGI monsters. And, you know, it was it was a fun version of exactly what I thought this was, you know, and we talk a lot about expectations with this. But, um, you know, it just I thought, you know, I I enjoyed it. All right. So in the spoiler section, uh, we find out that Amanda Waller has the ability to bring in uh, someone who is not of this earth. Uh, in order to fight Black Adam, and it ends up being uh, Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill back as Superman uh, in his traditional blue and red, and uh, 
with the curl. I like that he had the curl. Yeah, I noticed the curl. That was cool. And uh, I didn't notice this in all honesty, but apparently the John Williams score played mm-hmm. because a bunch of the Snyder Cut kids are mad that it wasn't the Zimmer. It's score. never good enough, is it? Never. Nope, never. Actually, they're calling for the boycott of Henry Cavill because they said he he dared to come back without Zach. <laughs> I find fascinating. We can just we can just ignore these people. This is all right. Yeah, good idea. Um, So what does it mean? Like everybody's asking what it means. And, you know, if this movie doesn't do well, it doesn't mean anything. Sure. Um, What is Henry's define well? (sighs) If it doesn't feel like that's what they threw their money down, then it'll work. Globally, it's got it's got to hit. It's got to hit six or seven hundred million. Yeah. Globally. Because that like BVS did about six something, I want to say. Yeah. And it was deemed a failure. Yeah. Um, so if this thing comes in at 500 million, like that's not good enough. Yeah. Do we know what uh, this is crazy? Isn't that what, crazy? Do we know what yeah, they spent fuck. on this? Is this full throated like 250 million dollars? Oh, it's like, gotta be that's gotta be a 200 million dollar movie. Let me see if I can feels find, like it. find a figure. It feels like it. Um, but I feel like it's, the reaction is gonna be pretty soft. Like I'm I'm looking at like a seventy-five million dollar weekend. Yeah, for and then it's going to tail off fast. What I'm seeing, and it's going to tail off fast. Is my especially with Black Panther coming up behind it. Now yeah. I know it has like two weeks, you know, two or three weeks to itself before that happens. But but if it's not I good, if, if people don't like it, yeah, I don't know if word of mouth is going to be enough to carry it. So. Um, to to round this off before we leave spoilers, the Henry Cavill thing we couldn't really discuss, even though you guys had mentioned like everyone's kind of openly talking about it, which is odd. But yeah. I guess not the biggest. The Rock is openly talking about yeah. it. It's one of those things where it's <laughs> well, like, well, a lot of people feel like that they're kind of pushing it out there to Sean's point to get people, uh, to, get people to. I, like, I tell you what, there. I'm more interested now that I know that. <laughs> like, it's, but it, are it people going to be pissed like when they go there and it's just a it's just a post credit scene? It's not like he's in the. Whenever someone's uh, like, oh, Henry Cavill's in the movie, I'm like, yeah, but like it's a post credit yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But, I don't know, but to be honest with you. The, the question I was going to ask is, does this make the whole the news about like, yeah, we're trying to make Man of Steel 2 and all, all the stuff that we kind of discussed without saying that he's in this movie. Yeah. Do you feel, Sean, where would you put the odds that we get him back in a, in a Superman movie? Higher than I, they've I, ever been, probably? I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah. Higher than they've ever been. I, I feel pretty strongly about, I, I think that the new regime looks around at the, at the, tools that are available to them and says it's crazy that we're not making superman movies yeah you know ludicrous and so make a superman movie and under the old regime who apparently had issues with henry cavill you know and didn't want him to come back that's when they were floating things like black superman you know that jj abrams is going to make with uh taisha coates and i don't know if that's going to happen you know, or or uh, Sasha Cowley playing Supergirl. Mm-hmm. But you're doing all of those things and 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 not doing Superman like yeah. those things are OK to do. But you have to be doing something with Superman. He's your he's your crown jewel. Yeah. Essentially. When does uh, when does Batgirl come out? Doesn't. Well, <laughs> that'll be on Discovery Plus in three years. Yeah. Part of Shark Week. Yeah. It'll be a part of Shark Week. <laughs> So there's a chance that Henry is going to show up in the flash that he's part of the reshoots. Um, and Affleck is going to be in the flash and Aquaman apparently. Um, but if Man of Steel was to happen, 
you're talking, you know, end of 2024. That's the movie that I'd want them to get Zack Snyder back for. Because Man of Steel is my favorite of God, the of, Man of, Steel. of those movies. I mean, it's the best one they made. And and oh. I like Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's it's it has its problems. It's long. It's whatever. And I, I enjoy it. But Man of Steel, I think, is. I, I don't have any issues with Man of Steel. I love that movie. Well, I mean, I've you know what's crazy? I love it. Is that within like a day, Warner Brothers announced both Man of Steel 2 and the Twister sequel, which if you think about it, could be the same project. It could be the same project. It already was. Remember, don't forget. Yeah. Don't forget Kevin Costner. Right. You have the whole hand to hold onto a pipe if Superman's <laughs> with you. No flying oh. cows with Superman. <laughs> Do you know it's actually called Twisters? Twisters. There's going to be yes. two of them. With with a dollar sign, me two of them. Dude, okay, but, but my issue with that, my issue with it being called Twisters, <laughs> the stakes. Is, does though, that imply the, uh, that like? Does that imply that in Twister that they think it's the same tornado that keeps coming back? <laughs> it's like the shark. shark. It's like the shark. It was already multiple Twisters. It was. It was like it's the not shark. the same tornado every single time. Oh, it is. Or is it, it though, James? Is that proven to not be the same oh, Twister? No, no, no. Do we want to get into a like? Is the twister the villain i love that we're doing this we're still in spoilers for black adam I love this. <laughs> twister done. is the villain <laughs> clearly well, it's the mayor it's the cow here's my concern about twisters is <laughs> it's jamie gertz is that movies like geostorm and the hurricane what was that? What was that called? Hurricane, hurricane heist, heist, baby. And hurricane heist. All where, the, where they did not steal a hurricane. I was, unfortunately, I was bummed to Twisters hear. Twisters is going to be a lot different than Twister, I think, because those yeah. movies are, it's got to be like, this is the biggest Twister. Oh my God, yeah. there's two of them. The entire yeah. eastern coast is going to be, like, it's going to be just a giant disaster. Well, and also we've, like, unfortunately lost, like, two of the best actors in Twister. Like, we lost yeah. Bill Paxton and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. I know. I, I really don't see Helen Hunt coming back it's just not gonna be i think it's gonna be totally different right it's, yeah, it's gonna be a whole it's so gonna it's gonna just gonna be another movie about several no, but twisters it's their kid. it is their kids though oh okay that's the rumor and they've said they want helen Hunt oh to come and back, it's the and it's, it's the kids. tornadoes kids it is, it is. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> it's like a bunch of little tornadoes <laughs> like, the little, like dorothy can the, the twister has the little like dorothy thing in it you can tell it's <laughs> I can't believe it's the same twister. Oh shit. That's that the third act reveal. <laughs> Let's get oh, to the point. Why don't they Jesus hire us Christ. for these things? It's true. We've had so many good ideas in this episode. <laughs> uh for the blend game, we are playing hashtag found footage blend. Uh and I'm gonna go first because my my choice is the most cliched. Uh, ah, come on be better uh i'm going with the blair witch project nice because um it was the it's the mac daddy of the of the genre it's the one that started it all well you could argue that cannibal holocaust is the mac daddy but it's a little Mm. okay fair enough um a little different but yeah Blair Witch was so effective. I know you guys don't remember because you were probably in grade school. No, I I remember. I remember remember thinking it was um, it was real. That was the I'm too young to think it was real. I knew the bit by the time I saw it. People really believed that it was real. I knew when I saw it. I mean, I was a kid, but I I thought it was real when I saw it. I wish I had that experience. That's awesome. What I love most about Blair Witch is that it is the lowest budget type of uh, horror. And it just goes to Mm. show that you don't need uh extreme special effects and that the audience's imagination 
uh, is better than most anything that that people can put out there. I mean, this was a movie about people walking around in the woods <laughs> and occasionally they would run into sticks. bundled sticks. <laughs> and uh, you, you forget that, like, it, it is a repetition of day and night and the day scenes are not nearly as good as the evening scenes. Mm-hmm. But whenever the evening scenes come together, uh, the shit gets real. Like when the first time that they hear their friends screaming from a distance again, mm-hmm. very simple, uh, but really terrifying because they don't know where he is. And he feel he sounds like he's in a ton of pain um, and it just it's just unnerving. And the next day it wears on their nerves a little bit more and then they go back to sleep again. And then it's like the voices of little children and someone just yes. scratching on the yeah. outside of their tent. That's it. That's all it is. Yeah. And it just freaks the fuck out of you. And uh I I have not of all the other found footage ones that I looked at to say, like, what else like paranormal activity or some such thing like that? Like, what else did they do? I don't think that the the scares were as effective and remain effective Mm -hmm. uh, as the ones in Blair Witch Project. So I had to choose that. Did you see um, the Blair Witch sequel, not Book of Shadows, but the one that was just called Blair Witch? I believe it came out about five years ago. I did. It's genuinely fantastic like i honestly loved it and i i really think that yeah because i think i was like in fourth grade when blair witch project came out i think that this sequel called just called blair witch is what i wanted the other blair witch to be um it's it's a little bit more i mean it's still found footage but it's a little bit more produced a little bit more hollywood so much so that they end up going to the house and you do actually see quick, quick, quick glimpses of the witch. And it's terrifying. It's, um, um it's Adam Wingard. That, that's why. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, right. Adam that's Wingard right. directed yeah. it. I yeah. really, really like that one. Uh, that's yep. not my pick, but I really, really like that one. Okay. So what did you go with? Uh, I went with host, which oh, I, I think is, I, uh, yeah, I host is, is uh, one of my favorite horror movies of, in recent memory. Um, first of all, it's just a, such a, I think it's one of, if not the only movie to successfully capture. Is that the Zoom one? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They take the whole okay. movie. Yeah, so if you're, if you're unfamiliar with it, um, the whole movie takes place via Zoom. Um, and it's, uh, uh, you know, kind of doing what we all did, which is like kind of get together and hang out with your friends all via Zoom. So you see you see all the familiar tropes. You see the, the squares and the sound effects and all the sort of stuff that go with Zoom. Um, and a, a group of friends decide to hold a seance. And the seance uh, goes poorly and you start seeing the effects of how the seance went poorly in each of their individual squares. Um, Masterfully directed by a director who was not in the room with his actors, who had to direct his all of his actors individually via Zoom, had to. There are some great um, special effects tricks that he had to explain to his actors how to do it so that they could do it in their own home. Um, whether it be, you know, having to pull back in a chair, it is, it's absolutely terrifying. And again, going back to the COVID-19, like I, you know, during COVID during the pandemic, they instantly started trying to make movies that were capturing that. And I remember thinking like one, like I, we're still in the middle of, it. I don't want to see movies about this while we're still in the middle. That was the only one that felt legitimate and felt like okay you're using covid to as a vessel to tell a story the movie's not mm-hmm. about a, a pandemic um and most recently and, and i think this this list is the uh best measurement for like what is genuinely scary it was just picked as um the scariest movie by science in which they what they do is they hook uh viewers up to a heart monitor and they compare the distance 
between your resting heart rate and your heart rate when you're watching a horror movie. And for a couple of years, it was Sinister. Sinister yeah. was was deemed the scariest movie by science. But Sinister has been dethroned and Host has taken the number one spot. Um, so I, I just genuinely, truly, truly love that movie. And Sean, you, you saw you and Michelle watched it, right? I liked it very much. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was yeah. really, really effective. Made great use of year. the technology. I still yeah, haven't seen it. I'll watch, watch that this month. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it's, and it brings I up the conversation of like, it. yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly, I think it's like 60 minutes. I think 65. Yeah, like it's, it's pretty it's, short. It's, it's, yeah. It's tight. You've been but raving about it though ever since it came out. Like every year sure. around this time you rave yeah. about it. I need to finally watch that. Yeah. It's entertaining. My pick, I'll keep, I'll keep quick because we do have Kevin's pick and we're, we're running long. Um, this one I, I wouldn't say I struggle with, but I don't have a super strong feeling towards anything in this genre. Blair Witch, I, I enjoy and I have good memories of um, as a kid watching that, but I didn't have that like, I love hearing people's stories about mm-hmm. thinking that that was real and I'm very envious of that because I, I knew the, the bit by the time I got to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a film that I think had a similar effect on me that I really liked and I, and I, I remember the sort of the cultural reaction and sort of like the, um, the general audience reaction at the time was Cloverfield. Sure. Oh, that first trailer. First trailer was awesome. And for for me, as someone who was like a burgeoning, you know, film addict um, and getting into sort of how they were made, that was a fresh experience for me. Even having seen um, Blair Witch at that point, I'm fairly certain I had already seen Blair Witch at that point. Um, I was just fascinated with that a movie could be made like that, like a movie, a movie sure. could be made like that, but also be on that scale. Like with Blair Witch, you know, a part of its genius is that like horror can be super simple and it can scare you with what you can't see and just the idea of what might be on the other side, you know, or the darkness that's sort of surrounding the characters on screen. And the fact that, who later we found out is just a genius and amazing filmmaker, Matt Reeves mm-hmm. was able to mm-hmm. like take this really interesting angle to a big budget monster invasion story and literally ground it. Um, I always found fascinating. And and I also kind of love that that was like, it got a, it was a part of the bad rap at the time for found footage movies where people were like, I just have a headache watching that damn thing. But it was, it was mm-hmm. supposed to feel like it was sure. human beings filming it and not a crew. And, and, you know, it has that, that title card of like, this is, you know, uh, confiscated footage for yeah. like, oh, government do, you, do you remember the, um, do you remember the, the post credit scene? No, no. It's what's the post credit scene? Great, great post credit scene. What's the post credit scene? Because like, uh, at the um, Coney Island, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. That's Cause, right. Cause, and, 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 so, so if you, one of the, I, I honestly thought one of the most beautiful things about Cloverfield is that it, they were taping over. Um, f- like this couple's video. He mm-hmm, remember at yeah. the beginning, he was really upset when he realized the tape that they were using. So mm-hmm. this, the, the horror of what's going on with this monster is intercut with these like, like beautiful moments between this couple yeah. mm-hmm. and the very end of the tape is this couple, you know, kind of holding the camera selfie style at Coney Island. But if you look closely, you see something in the sky falling and splashing into the water behind them. And that's, that's meant awesome. to be that, which I just, it's such a tiny little, Oh, I love, I love Cloverfield. And and I do love, you know, the, um, they're not batting a thousand, but I, I love the universe that we've gotten out of that. A 10 Cloverfield lane. 10 Cloverfield lane is. I love the reveal of that. Oh my God. It's so good. I love the idea of this anthology that can just sort of have its own identity movie to movie, but it's tying into this like, you know, major event. And I hope 100%. we get more of those. I hope we get more of those. 100%. Yeah. Cause yeah, yeah, like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't love the space one. Yeah. That one was kind of. 
you know, like, if you're going to keep making them, inevitably there are going to be hits and misses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought too, I thought Cloverfield and Tim Cloverfield Lane were both strong enough. And I um, do again as like a filmmaking nerd, I love the idea of the folks at Bad Robot just sort of getting an interesting script and being like, mm-hmm. okay, what if we could punch this up by making yeah. it by tying this to this world like Die Hard Three? You know, like like I just kind of love that idea of of taking a great idea and then seeing if you can build on sure. and this other universe. Uh, I hope we hopefully we get more of those. Ooh, but. our nightmare movie with Jack Sparrow, but in the Cloverfield universe. That's how the universes collide with twisters. With twisters, yeah. Well, baby twisters, revenge twisters, revenge, twisters revenge baby twisters. Yeah. Um, did we mention the Cloverfield as Matt Reeves? Did you say that? Yes, mm-hmm. yes. I mean, that's right. the other thing. I mean, we get yeah. yeah. Goes to show when you hire hire really. But I don't smart know what people. Kevin picked. I still don't know what Kevin picked. So we're about to find out. Oh, okay. Well, let's throw it to Kevin for his pick for Found Footage Blend. Hey guys, I miss you guys. I love you guys. I'm here in Las Vegas on vacation at Caesar's Palace right there. Hangover, obviously, and. Uh, just give you a little look around but yeah i'm just chiming in here for my found footage blend uh and i've told bits of this story before so i'm going to keep it brief but again i think the ultimate found footage movie that i always think of is obviously the blair witch project but paranormal activity was definitely one of those as well but in terms of blair witch uh i when i was a kid i did not know that that wasn't real um so the trailers and the marketing for it made it seem like it was an actual real found footage Uh, experience so when I watched the film I thought I was watching actual found footage so this is prior to like social media and the internet at least at least the way it is today where you you know you could get those things debunked when you're a kid and you're naive uh, you start to believe the marketing so I remember sitting in that theater watching that movie and just my heart dropping at that last shot and I ran out of the theater. I was the only one in there and I wasn't old enough. So I remember I had to sneak in anyway. So I was already worried that the that the actual like ushers were gonna find me in the theater. But on top of that, to watch a film that you believe is real and not know it's, you know, it's a movie uh, is terrifying. So for me, that's the ultimate, but I have to give Paranormal Activity credit because that film was made on a budget for like 10 or 15 grand, I remember. And I was blown away by how they did those shots where, like, they pulled the characters out of the bed. Uh, it was just really innovative filmmaking. So I'm a big fan of the found footage movies when they do them right. Uh, but, yeah, I miss you guys and I love you guys. And I'm sorry I'm not there to talk about all the movies this week. Uh, and But we'll be back next week and I will talk to you guys then. Miss you all and love you all and talk to you soon. Let's get to our audience picks. Uh, Demir C. went with a film called Her Cry that I'm not familiar with. So I'm going to have to look up what that is. It is written and directed by Demir. Oh, my. Is it really? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's his film. It's his film. Well done, sir. Well done. Very nice. Uh, Christian Perez went with Cloverfield and Bubbard said the host. Jason Clark went outside of the horror genre and went with Chronicle. Which is another good uh, pick. Great pick. It is a a very good pick. Because we associate the found footage subgenre with horror but and i and that's another one that has a great concept which is like one high school students finding superpowers and then just kind of following them along is cool but the idea that like max landis is kind of an awful person so i'm not trying to give him too many props that he doesn't need sure. but i think the idea of i want to make a darth vader story mm-hmm. and that's yeah, how yeah. you do it is really mm-hmm. really cool yeah yeah um and then dana rogers says uh, I was in the sixth grade when a family friend took me to see the Blair Witch Project. We legitimately sure, thought age. we'd seen a real video. 
He apologized profusely to my parents and I didn't sleep for a while. (laughs) It's the gold standard. Hashtag found footage. Yeah. Yeah. And many, many others agreed with Blair Witch. Okay, so for next week. I just this is not this is not possible. Yeah, I keep peppering them in every once in a while. How did we I'm very surprised we haven't played hashtag Kate Blanchett blend, um, but we're playing hashtag Kate Blanchett. Blend. Yeah, have fun. So uh, let us know your pick. That's the most terrifying thing of all is trying to pick <laughs> uh, via real blend at cinemablend.com or you can use the hashtag Kate Blanchett blend on social media. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Um, I have one that jumps to mind, but I'm going to have to look back over her filmography and see. And see what's coming up. So uh, at that email, you can also send us reviews of the show. Real blend at cinema uh, Our next premium episode. We're going to be playing. What year was it? Horror edition. Uh, yeah. One more time because we didn't get to play with Jakey last time. So yeah. Sean, that's the stakes this week. Sean will be trying to go two for two against his hosts with the right. horror movie edition. The kid. The be crowned kid. The, the champion of October, the king of Halloween or something. Uh, so again, check the description below for more information on where you can get information to sign up for the Real Blend Premium. I love what year was it? It's a lot of fun. It's great. a great game. I'm looking yeah. forward to playing it. So in the meantime, follow us on social media uh, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach. And the show is at Real Blend. We'll be back next week with a full episode. Kevin should be back uh, in town. I will be down in Savannah, but I'm still going to be recording uh, with you animals and hopefully be able to report some really cool stuff that we've been able to see so until then hashtag the if it happens. i'm just gonna say hashtag if it happens speaking of savannah oh, that's a good one as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.